Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every time out here on this show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell, and Happy New Year, everyone! (laughs) Happy 2024, and this week on the show, we welcome back guest co-host Roman Gomez to talk more UWF in 1986. This week, going to be tackling the weekend of May 25th TV, and then a deep dive into the very first, and I guess only, UWF Heavyweight Title Tournament to crown the inaugural UWF Champion. As we close out the month of May in 1986, yes, indeed, the Cowboy is back and walking tall once more. And we're going to get to all of that in just a moment. But first, just a friendly reminder that you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 and the WWF Project, as well as the Wrestling Stoop Podcast with the legend himself, Bob Roop, as Bob goes back in time recalls countless memories that he shares with us all, plus other new shows on the horizon. You can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And hey, guys, be sure to follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Plus, I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And you can do so by following me on X, formerly the Twitter. You can follow me there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Very important for those following the Regional Wrestling Show to follow YouTube if you'd like to get a hold of all of the videos that we're discussing here, all the television episodes, both For Gene Jackson and I, when we do the Memphis 85 project here on Regional Wrestling, and of course, five months deep now, me and Roman covering the UWF in 1986, all of those TV episodes up there right now on my YouTube in chronological order for you guys to follow along as we discuss the history. And that address again, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And last but certainly not least, Now would be an absolutely phenomenal time to become a WrestleCopia patron, guys. Now hear me out. You can find me there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Guys, I'm only talking about a $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes, for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and right here, the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. From there, it's remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But... 
That's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, the Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And if that wasn't enough, random bonus video drops and new projects on the way. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5, guys. No subscription. Cancel any time. Please, show your support. Give it a try for a month. And I truly do believe you'll love the content that I offer there. And the best part is, every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network and all of the wonderful shows here up and running for the months and the years to come. So, if you can, spare a few bucks, please consider supporting the WrestleCopia brand. All right, guys, with that out of the way, you know what it means. It's time to jump back in to the Universal Wrestling Federation circa 1986. Right, and that means we're just seconds away. But before we can get to talking about the good stuff, we got to bring back my guest co-host along for this ride here in the UWF. And you guys know by now who I'm talking about. Welcome back, Roman Gomez. Roman, good to have you back. Hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Feliz Navidad. Well, thank you. It was good spending time with family. And I hope everybody out there listening had a wonderful Christmas as well. Yeah, happy holidays to all, and uh, New Year now. 2024 is upon us. We are in a new year, Roman Gomez, so we made it one more time, another trip around the sun. Yeah, and hopefully 2024 is a safe and uh, happy new year for everybody out there, and uh, yeah, looking forward to see what 2024 has in store. Most certainly, guys, as we jump back in here this week to more UWF goodness, and oh, it's it's a very special show. This week, Roman, because yes, we're going to cover another week of UWF TV, but we're also going to be talking in depth about that huge event that took place May the 30th at the Sam Houston Coliseum, the retirement of the North American title and the brand new UWF championship belt. The new champion going to be decided here on today's program in a single elimination tournament going to take place over the course of that night, that wild night, all the way back in 1986 in the city of Houston. So we got a lot to get into here today, Roman, so we're going to jump right into things. Let's do it. All right, guys. So right now, before we can get to that big event, we're going to go back a week to the television prior, May the 24th, UWF-TV tape back, May the 11th, Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right out of the gate, we get a clip. And remember last time out, we talked about Dark Journey tossing that drink into the face of Lady Maxine. You were really a big fan of that one, Roman. Well, Jack, Victory, and Max, they vowed revenge challenging journey to find a man to step in the ring with Jack Victory here this week on UWF television. The question remains, who will it be? We'll have to wait and see. As we begin the program, it's Jim Ross and new co-host, at least for this week, Will Handsome. No, that is Michael Purely Sexy Hayes. And you talked about how much you really loved this team of Jim Ross and Michael Hayes back in the UWF. Oh, they were great on the mic. You know, Hayes was always the 
best promo guy of the Freebirds. So to hear his take on things, obviously he did the role as a heel, but he could also be very analytical about things. And yeah, he was just a great complimentary uh, partner to Jim Ross. You know, they tried to recreate this uh, in Turner land in 1989 for Saturday night programming. And it just didn't click for me in that time period. And then Hayes eventually goes into semi-retirement there and they give him a job co-hosting some of the uh, smaller shows over the weekend and just was never the same as the original charm here of Jim Ross and Michael Hayes and, and back in this time period. So I'm with you in this particular time frame of JR and Michael Hayes. I loved it too here in the UWF. As we get things going, uh, syndication is on the move, Jim Ross notes. The UWF now airing in Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Kansas City, look out central states, uh, even on some CBS affiliates. And now UWF available in Las Vegas, Nevada, and all throughout Texas. Was this about the time that you remember watching UWF? Well, I, I had a little bone to pick with Ross on that because maybe, you know, it wasn't his fault, obviously, but he announced that it was going to be Sunday nights in Vegas and it was not on Sunday nights in Vegas. It was Sunday mornings as part of a block, you know, that we got with world class and AWA and everything. But uh, it was exciting to hear Las Vegas mentioned, you know, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great to see it. Uh, you know, going to school the next day, talking to your friends about what happened and uh yeah, it was very exciting to get UWF because back in the day with Mid-South, we would only get to see like little highlights or read about stuff in magazines. But to see the weekly television program every week at this time was incredible. Yeah, shame on you, JR, because I do believe he was the sales rep for the UWF. So he should have known what time it aired there in Las Vegas. But eh, tomato, tomato, at least you got the program, which is the main thing. As uh, we get going here this week, going to kick the show off with Gustavo Mendoza. Taking on Perry Jackson, as Jim Ross acknowledges that both men, they don't have the best records here in the ring, Roman, but that's what makes this match even more important in climbing the ladder. You see, everything means something here in the UWF as Michael Hayes goes one step further, pointing out that while everyone can't be on top of the world, these two men in the ring right now, they're pro wrestlers in the UWF, and that speaks volumes by itself. So Hayes, a heel, really good right out of the gate here. On commentary, it's not just putting himself over or the Freebirds over. He's sitting here putting over the prelim guys because the more they mean, the more it means when someone else beats them. Yeah, we are on the same page. You know, when these two are in the ring, the, the average fan at that time would probably think like, well, why are they wasting their time on these two? But, you know, Hayes did do a great job on commentary saying that both men in the wrestling ring automatically makes them tough. You know, and he gave them credit for that. And then, like you said, whoever emerges victorious in this, I won't give away the spoiler yet. I'll let you announce who's victorious. <laughs> but whoever emerges victorious is going to make their opponent look better when they beat them on TV. Because the right. fans have seen like, okay, Gustavo got a victory or Perry Jackson got a victory. So they're not automatic slouches. So it makes their competition look better when they beat them. Absolutely. And here was, we get the action go. And Perry Jackson spends the early minutes working Mendoza's arm until Gustavo uses leverage to drive Perry face-first into that corner buckle, that evil Gustavo. He lays in some shots here, but misses a somersault senton, and Jackson takes action. See what I did there, Roman? Big backdrop, but telegraphs a second one, and Gustavo lowers the boom on Jackson before landing a snap hangman's neckbreaker. It's the best way I could describe it. And a hook of the tights, for no reason other than to be a heel, I wrote nice. As Gustavo Mendoza going to pick up the win with that hangman's neckbreaker 
four and a half minutes. I thought it was nice to finally see Mendoza get a victory. You know, yes. we had talked yes. about how we appreciated his work underneath. You know, he was a good enhancement guy, but to see him actually get a victory and on TV, I thought that was nice. It made me smile. I think Bill Watts appreciated him really getting into that character, that that uh, Fidel Castro type looking character. Wow, man, we got to give you at least one win on TV when you when you go all out and, and want to look like that <laughs> after the show. And and you know something that I thought was cool too was that they actually. Of course, Mendoza got the victory, but you didn't have a run-in. A lot of times when you see matchups like this, right. you know, somebody, a Gordy or somebody would run in and just demolish everybody. And then, but they actually let these two get some ring time, you know, which I thought was a nice thing to do. No, and they kept the match short, four and a half minutes in and out. It wasn't like, the, you know, one of them WWF prelim matches at the Garden or something that go 10 minutes long, bores the crowd to tears. There was some arm work early, but it's to be expected. First match on the show, preliminary guys in the ring. But in general, you know, quick and to the point, four and a half minutes, Gustavo Mendoza picks up the win. And I feel maybe not so much in the WWF, but it's good to have a match like this every once in a while on your television in general, Roman, to to give the fans at home a reason to look at a guy like Gustavo as a potential threat who could pull something out at any given time. So it gives the viewer a reason to pay attention to the quote-unquote squash matches involving Mendoza rather than to tune out, leave the room, whatever, because, hey, this Gustavo guy, he may just pull out a win at any given time. And you made a great point, too, in the fact that the match was short in length because, let's face it, the promotion was not going to be revolving around Mendoza or Jackson. You know, right. they were enhancement workers, but they gave them, a, you know, a match and they didn't take up too much time so you could still see your DiBiase, your Sheepherders, Kamala, et cetera, the big-name stars. And as the show goes on, we get some UWF fundraiser information. Bring them to your town, guys, before we head back to the ring to see Ted DiBiase take on Gary Young. Welcome, Gary Young, to the territory. And if you didn't know by now, DiBiase back from all Japan. And yes, as we saw last week, Maggie's back in town. Roman, I think you just told me recently you finally heard the story of the inception, the creation of the name Maggie for the DiBiase glove, no? Yeah, he had mentioned that, you know, at that time there was that Rod Stewart song that, you know, was had Maggie in the title, and it was kind of like a popular thing at the time, so it was just like, oh, let's go with Maggie. Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something to say to you. Okay, well, that makes sense. So it was, we were all looking for something deeper there, but DiBiase finally spills the beans. I don't know where you heard it. I don't know if, you know, if it was on a shoot interview or what the, the situation was there where you got that from Ted. But it's very cool. I appreciate you uh, informing us all. Well, yeah, like I said, I, you you said it too. I wish it was a, a bigger, deeper meaning to it, but it was just the hot thing at the time was that song, so he, he rolled with it. Works for me, guys. So the action here, it's Gary Young taking on Ted DiBiase. Michael Hayes on commentary, making it clear that he has no love loss for Ted DiBiase, their past history in Georgia, mocking his father, Iron Mike DiBiase here. Jim Ross brings up the four pile drivers angle from Georgia as well, as DiBiase had to rehab. He was out for several weeks after that situation there back in 1981. But here in this matchup in 1986, it's Ted DiBiase dominating on the offense. Solid wrestling, as if I needed to tell you guys that. But Gary Young finally with a piece of offense, reversing an Irish whip into the corner. But DiBiase bounces out and lands a sit-out clothesline before locking in the figure four leg lock, giving Ted DiBiase the submission win Three minutes and 50 seconds, and I was hoping to see a little more out of Gary Young here. I was a huge fan of Young, but DiBiase is indeed back, and better than ever, it would seem, 
as Michael Hayes leaves commentary to prepare for his upcoming match later in the program. At this point, Hayes slated to take on Terry Taylor, but let's go back to the matchup. Ted DiBiase back and better than ever. Yeah, and a little bit different take on commentary. You know, I had mentioned on a previous podcast how they put DiBiase over as an international star and everything, but on this one, you could hear the venom in Hayes' voice, you know, when he says his daddy got him into the business, you know, like really taking pot shots at Ted, almost implying like he didn't deserve to be in, you know, like he snuck his way into the wrestling business and that, that bothered Hayes. And, you know, of course they made mention to their time in Georgia, which, you know, I've mentioned a thousand times. I always like when they acknowledge the past and not try to insult the fans. So I thought that was good that they did that. Oh yeah. And that left-handed clothesline by D.B. Aussie was very impressive. You don't normally see him come from the left side like that. You know, maybe maybe Stan Hansen was rubbing off on him or something, but that was maybe, an impressive that, left-handed clothesline. Maybe that was a nod to Stan Hansen now that I think about it. Very good, very good catch there, Roman. But yeah, DiBiase, I, I, I love that on commentary. Michael Hayes talking about how the Freebirds had to bust their butts from the bottom, work their way up to the top the hard way, while DiBiase was quote-unquote handed his spot in the wrestling business from Iron Mike DiBiase, who passed away after a wrestling match, actually, guys. But uh, the show continues on here. Final trivia clue. Clue number four, Roman. This wrestler's favorite maneuver has felled many wild animals. And the answer is not here, but I will give you the answer, Roman. The answer of that is the spear. So perhaps now you guys could put all of those clues together that made absolutely no sense at times. And finally here, this favorite maneuver of this wrestler has felled many wild animals, a spear. And there's only one wrestler here in the Mid-South, in the UWF, who uses the spear, and I think you know who that is. Exactly, but boy, did they make this trivia a lot harder than it needed to be. (laughs) He felt like he was Jeopardy trying to answer some of these questions. It wasn't just the questions, though. It was where they put the questions, in a bumper, heading into a commercial break, and things, it was like, they would just pop in at the most ridiculous times to where they didn't want yeah. you to send in the postcards, even though they needed you to send in the postcards. It just it was it was classic cowboy, I think. Yeah, yeah, how they snuck that in there. Reminds me of when I went to the dentist this past week, how they casually <laughs> go, Oh yeah, you need two root canals. I'm like, What? <laughs> you know, so, which I'm not buying that, but anyway, we'll get back to the action. And guys, the, the answer UWF. yeah, the answer to that trivia quiz for those who still can't figure out is indeed Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Go back to clue number one. He was once called Moose in school. When he started in the business, sometimes he had the nickname Moose Duggan. So you see it in some of the very old WWF stuff that he worked around 8081, at least in the ads and things printed. So that was kind of the giveaway for me because I knew that. But the, the following two questions just totally baffled me. Not because I was looking for the answer. I didn't even know what they were alluding to. They were just way out there. So at least we come back down to earth a little bit here and I can kind of figure this one out. As it is indeed the answer, Hacksaw dug into your four-question trivia quiz. You guys send in your postcards right now. Give the cowboy your address for his catalog. As we come back from break, we head back to last week. We see a clip in the ring of Cowboy Bill Watts making the proclamation, no more Russian flag being put on anyone here in the UWF as the Cowboy is surrounded. Then by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Korchenko, and Rock and Sting, the Blade Runners. But the Cowboy, he's walking tall, Roman. And with a little help from Doc and DiBiase, it's Bill Watts taking out everyone as he is uh, looking great here. The Cowboy seemingly coming out of retirement one final time. And 
the crowd loved it. You know, they were, they definitely wanted to see it. I, I, as a fan, it fired me up, but you know, when he, when he cuts that promo, is it, is it okay if I jump ahead for a second there? You can jump ahead. Sure. Uh, okay. He cuts a fired up promo in which he says he's coming back for a street fight. And then twice he uses the word fanny. He does. He I, does. <laughs> that just doesn't, that just doesn't resonate as a uh, tough guy when you're using the word fanny. Hard to picture a, a tough guy using the word fanny. You know, it's not something you hear on the on the playgrounds or in the streets <laughs> when people are ready to get in a fight. You know, I'm going to kick your fanny. You know, I wish Watts. You know, but back then it was a little bit different. I remember. I think, think butt would have worked better than fanny, though. Right? I would have kicked yeah. your butt. You know. I remember Jim Ross actually apologizing when there was a brawl at the set with DiBiase and Hayes, and and Jim Ross goes, "What the hell is going on?" He right. came back and apologized for using the word hell. So it was a different time and, and era back then. But, yeah, I think butt would have been better. I'm going to kick your butt instead of I'm going to kick your fanny. Yeah, I think when I posted our last show, I used the term fanny in the write-up. And I'm sure a lot of people were like, why did he use that? But it was all because of the Cowboy, which we're going to hear right now, guys. The Cowboy walking tall one more time as we go off right now to a VTR. Jim Ross standing by in the Watts family home as JR interviews Cowboy Bill Watts and standing by his side it's Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He's an American. He doesn't hide it. He is still a Dr. Death and DiBiase. DiBiase's putting on the glove, getting ready for war. We've just seen the replay, ladies and gentlemen, of what happened last week here on the Universal Wrestling Federation, the incident that Cowboy Bill Watts got involved in. And now we're at the Watts home in Bixby, Oklahoma, the gym specifically. Bill, the phone has been ringing off the hook. People have been asking from all over the country, what's going on? You lost your temper last week, no doubt about it. Where do we go from here? Well, let me tell you, I've always had a temper problem. Anybody who knows me knows I've got a temper problem. And I'm telling you, when you're talking about America and Russia, get hot real quick. I remember when Doc, when I was scouting him, I went down to OU, and the last match, the Russian heavyweight, and Doc was geared up, and the OU crowd was screaming, and the Russian heavyweight forfeited because he looked over in Doc's eyes and saw that he couldn't handle what was going to be a cut from him. You see, Russians are that way. They don't ever start anything unless they got the odds in their favor. Big, tough Russia jumping Afghanistan with their mule carts and their ancient artillery and stuff like that. They're really big, tough guys. So I saw a problem with Russians, and so does Doc. And I'll tell you one other thing. As long as there's blood in this heart beating through these limbs, nobody's going to come walk over me. And I told you when I saw what happened at the Superdome with Doc that it burned my fanny. And I sometimes, I don't care what, when you're the president of something, the, the pass in the buck stops at the top, not at the bottom. And Doc, I've seen him get the shaft with these Russians jumping him. And it's just more than I can. So they want to fight? Let me tell you, I did. I retired from wrestling in the last stampede. And I've kept this T-shirt. It was a great moment. And I'm not coming back to wrestle, Doc. I'm coming back to do something that every great wrestler that is second nature to him, that's a doggy street fight. And it doesn't take a lot of long-winded, endurance-type condition. All it takes is hearts and guts and desire. And I got the meanest son of a gun I know walking to walk tall with Cowboy Bill Watts one more time, and we're going to kick you, Rush, and take your names and ship your fannies right back where you ought to be. So there it was. It looked like they were in the home gym of the Watts family. It looks like shortly after a workout here, wearing his last Stampede t-shirt uh, from his last retirement. I'm sure he could wear that every couple of years. Lots of people online, when I posted this video of the Cowboys' comeback, were giving it, I don't want to say they were giving it crap, 
where they were like, oh, he did this every couple years and it got, you know, got a little uh, repetitive, but you wouldn't know it from the fan response here. And it certainly, I, it sold me at the time as well. So, and we have to remember, this is the, actually the final time Watts is going to come out of retirement, which makes it a little more important for me as well. So for those out there who are like, oh, well, Bill Watts did it this time and that time, and he did it here. Yeah, I know, Cornette and, and before that even. But we're going to see it again here one more time, and hey, it, the crowd's eating it up, and so am I. Yeah, and you know, like we said on the last episode, you know, nobody looked at it when he was attacking the Warrior and Sting, and you know, nobody looked at it like, oh, who's this old geezer in there? Why is he back again? Oh, yeah. You know, the crowd ate it up, and you know, I had mentioned he picked his spots. It's not like he came out of retirement to win the world title and hang on to it for five years. You know, it was just to settle a couple scores. No, absolutely. And Watts admits here in the promo, I love his shoot comments as he admits to having anger issues. He knows he has them. He says anyone who knows him knows that. At least he's honest, Roman. As uh, Bill brings up a situation, an amateur, where a Russian forfeited a match against Dr. Death simply because he looked across the mat at him. I don't know if that's true or not, but apparently all Russians are cowards, according to the cowboy here, Roman. Yeah, he was not a fan of Russians, and uh, he stayed consistent, you know, with his political views, that's for sure. Well, we got to remember Bill Watts, I think, born somewhere around 1939, so that would only put him at not even 50 years of age here, even though he looks it. Uh, But, I mean, the Cowboy laid in those punches you were talking about when he was hitting Sting and hitting the Warrior and and Eddie Gilbert with that great bump into the air, so it was believable. It wasn't like some old-timer came out there and embarrassed himself. The Cowboy laid in and looked good, and hey, those guys knew to bump for him. Right. And it wasn't like giant Baba, you know, throwing a chop in, in 1996 where, Ugh. you know, everybody's basically laughing, you know, because yeah. it, it looks so pathetic, you know. So when Watts did it, it still looked believable. I love Bill Watts here. I may not agree with some of the comments he's making, but the way he delivers them, it made me laugh listening to that. He, Big, tough Russia only jumps people when they have the advantage. Jumping Afghanistan. Boy, that didn't age well, did it? Uh, as long as there's blood in the cowboy's heart, nobody is going to walk over him. Dr. Death has been getting the shaft against all these Russians ganging up on him, and the buck stops at the top for Cowboy Bill Watts, the president of the UWF, as uh, Watts admits he's retired, but he's not coming back to wrestle, Roman. He's coming back, as you said, for a street fight. And he dropped that line. He's walking tall, so you know he means business. One more time, and he's going to ship those Russian fannies back where they belong. And, you know, something else I just thought of, too, that makes us seem a little more credible. I mean, we know behind the scenes, you know, that Watts was the owner. You know, he called the shots and whatnot. But storyline-wise, as a fan... If you see somebody like Doc and DiBiase teaming with Watts, subconsciously that's telling you, well, Watts must be a hell of a partner to have. Because if they're going against the Russian and Sting and, and, you know, and so forth, like they wouldn't pick some scrub. They're picking Bill Watts. So that makes it even more credible because Doc and DiBiase and Duggan were like the big names back then. Yeah, if I'm a new fan, say in Las Vegas, for instance, and I'm just seeing this for the first time and this this announcer is being drawn back into the ring, but he's holding his own, I'm buying it. Clearly there's more to this story. So even if I'm not a big wrestling history buff and I didn't get the magazines and I wasn't a fan prior to this, I'm literally picking up by the vibes that stuff that are showing me on the screen here and the way this guy's delivering his lines here in this promo as well, that he's a tough dude. Yeah. Other than the word fanny, you believed him being a tough guy. 
And we also learned next week that Ivan and Nikita Koloff will be right here alongside Korchenko on the UWF programming. So stay tuned, guys. It's going to get bigger and better. Uh, but for right now, we head back to the ring tag team action with the Sheep Herders, the former UWF tag team champions, Jack Victory in their corner, taking on the team of Tracy Smothers and Brett Wayne Sawyer. As the match gets going, we get a minute of stalling and saluting the New Zealand flag before we get going with Brett Wayne and Luke Williams in the ring and Sawyer popping Luke with a flying forearm early on, really nicely placed. And it's not long, though, before the Herders take over and own their opponents from there. Luke, though, finally missing a diving headbutt and Smothers going to fire back with a nice dropkick, sending Williams out to the floor. And Tracy fires up, series of right hands, big lefts, but runs into a knee in the corner from Luke and Butch tags in to take back over for the heels. As Smothers finally able to dodge a Luke knee drop, it's hot tag time to Brett Wayne Sawyer and Sawyer in with a house of fire series of drop kicks tagged back to the future wild-eyed Southern boy. Tracy, though, goes for a splash and lands on the knees of Luke, and it's the familiar Bushwhacker battering ram and the double gut buster. Boy, they are not covering poor Tracy here as they deliver a second double gut buster. And this time, the Sheep Herders picking up the win. Six minutes and 39 seconds. And the Herders, they look ready for their upcoming barbed wire cage match against the tag team champions, the Fantastics. And this is a competitive match, you know, and you would figure it would be competitive with somebody like Smothers and Brett Wayne as the opposition. And that double gut buster, I always thought was a good move, you know, and to see it a couple times like that, it just seemed, you know, when you're watching it, you would picture yourself losing, losing your air and grasping for breath, you know, if that was done to you. So, you know, I always liked that move by the sheep herders and, uh, you know, the battering ram later on in the WWE, WWF, you know, was always kind of like a comedy spot. But right. back then it was taken a little more serious. Well, it was certainly unique for the time. Uh, one wrestler using the other wrestler basically as a projectile, driving his head into the gut of the opponent. And then they, you know, add insult to, oh, excuse me, injury to injury, I should say, because that double gut buster, that was like the one move that the Bushwhackers did in the WWF, where if they were, fi- they finally meant business. You know, it was uh, they, the one move they had where it was, it was business. That's usually where they picked up the win there, the battering ram and then the double gut buster. But here they do it twice because they got to get over their intensity heading into that upcoming big cage match with the champion. Fantastic. So more on that before the show concludes here this week, guys. But we continue on here with more action in the ring. The Ugandan headhunter, the mighty Kamala, managed by Skandor Akbar, taking on Dave Peterson. And as this match prepares to go down, Hack saw Jim Duggan going to arrive ringside to have a word with Peterson and referee Tommy Gilbert. Jim Ross reminding us that Akbar has been promising that Kamala will take Duggan out of the UWF, and apparently Hacksaw. He wants to nip that in the bud, Roman. And it looks like Duggan going to take Peterson's place. And he unloads, attacking the Ugandan. So we thought we were getting Kamala and Peterson, but instead it's going to be Kamala and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And in my notes, I put, heck yeah. I'm Hell excited yeah. to see this. Oh, you cleaned it up like Fanny. Heck yeah, says Roman. I'll say it. Hell yeah. And then I'll apologize later like good old JR, but that's pretty cool. I mean, you're sitting here free TV. You're expecting a, well, I hate to call Peterson a completely prelim guy, but he is underneath compared to Duggan, right? So it's the North American champion is coming out and and offer issuing it a challenge, so to speak. So you don't get that every week. So very cool here this week on TV. 
Yeah, and uh, it just makes you appreciate Duggan more and more when you see him in this time frame. You know what a what a prime time player he was. You know the the fighting champion, the guy that wouldn't say no to a to a challenge. You know it wasn't the comedy guy that you saw later on. This was a serious Duggan, and he was a lot of fun to to watch back then because he really knew how to work too. For sure. Is Duggan going to replace Peterson here? Unloading on the Ugandan, dropping him with a big clothesline. It kind of landed, it looked like, in the throat of Kamala there. Oof. But uh, Kamala, though, going to come fighting back, chops and a savat kick of sorts. Finally, though, a headbutt drops the North American champion. After all of that, Duggan finally down on the mat. But the fight, it'll spill out to the floor as Duggan then sent into the railing. But he battles back, driving the timekeeper table into Kamala's head. An awesome selling by Kamala, by the way, the stumbling after getting his head rocked by the timekeeper table there. As Akbar handing something off to Kamala, it would appear that the Ugandan then uses a foreign object of some type, driving it into Duggan and then rolling him back inside. The action going to continue from there. As Kamala, sensing the kill, does a victory jump. Double touch. You always loved when Kamala would do that double touch, grab his toes in midair there as he's, he's setting up for the finish, it would seem. Yeah, and I've seen Kamala wrestle in person, and like when you see somebody that size do a leapfrog or the double toe touch, like it means more when you see it in person. You know, like wow, that that takes some skills. If I tried that right now, I'd probably pull my groin. You know, yeah. like, I got to tip my hat to Kamala. He was quite agile. As a kid, I always pop for Bam Bam Bigelow busting out the cartwheel, but Kamala being able to jump up in the air and touch his toes like that was. Uh, Quite a feat of agility for a guy his size who, by all accounts, when you look at him, doesn't look like a whole lot athletically. So uh, very impressive there. But Kamala basically celebrating before the match is over. And he's going to pay for that, Roman, because as he's celebrating, Duggan, out of nowhere, landing the spear. So the finisher connects and down goes Kamala, both men on the mat momentarily before Kamala back up to his feet first. Remember, he had been rocking Duggan. And the Uganda going to lay in another Savat kick, and the big splash connects. And nobody gets up from that. One, two, well, apparently Hacksaw Duggan gets out of that because he kicks out at the two count here. I wrote, what? Hacksaw Duggan kicking out of Kamala's finisher. You just didn't see that often back in those days. You protected the finish, but especially here on TV. Exactly. That was always such a big deal to see somebody kick out of somebody's finisher. You know, I think back to in Georgia when Kevin Von Erich kicked out of the Jimmy Superfly snook a splash. Like, that's the only time I ever remember it all these years, you know. So when it was done right, it was memorable. And to see Duggan kick out of that was incredible. So we see Duggan land the spear. So we've seen one finisher, both men down, back to their feet. Kamala dropping Duggan again, landing his finisher, the big splash. And somehow the North American champion manages to kick out. And then from there, Hacksaw beginning to fire up as Kamala intentionally chopping down referee Tommy Gilbert. And the bell sounds, giving Duggan the DQ win only three and a half minutes. All of that in just three and a half minutes. Wow. They got a lot done in a short period of time. And even though it was only three and a half minutes, like you don't, you didn't feel like you got cheated because a lot got done, you know? And I, I look at the spot where Duggan picked up the table and just how the crowd popped for that, because that wasn't something that was done all the time, you know, and now you can put it on AEW and see a table, you know, 18 times in a 20 minute match, you know, but back then like, Whoa, he picked up the table. And then the enthusiasm by Jim Ross, like, 
Ross got caught up in it as a fan. You know, he did amazing on this, and this was a great segment. And, you know, I had talked before about the impromptus. This one was done very well, and I was glad they put it on the show. Yeah, so we get three and a half minutes of wild action, but the brawl isn't over yet. Is Skandor Akbar going to grab Jim Duggan from behind, holding him for the Ugandan? But Duggan moves out of the way as Kamala winds up chopping his manager, Skandor Akbar, instead. Duggan then clearing both men from the ring as the crowd goes absolutely nuts. Tell me this guy was not over Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I was going to say, how can you not like Duggan? You know, he kicks out of Kamala's splash. Then he puts a thumping on Akbar, who everybody hated. It's like, you had to like Duggan, you know? like He was one of our guys. He, he was standing and fighting the good fight. Absolutely. What a great, you know, impromptu matchup. A top caliber main event match, Kamala and Jim Duggan, the North American champion. Yes. No, no, the belt wasn't on the line here. It was impromptu, but we didn't get a pinfall anyway. But Duggan looked great here in, in clearing the ring afterwards, kicking out of Kamala's splash. But Kamala stayed strong because he just kept getting up afterwards and i'll tell you what ray i'm sure you felt the same way as i did after seeing that if they came to an arena near you you'd want to buy a ticket oh yeah you know the story goes according to the observer anyway the original plans for duggan once he got past nikolai and the iron sheik in the wwf later that summer he was to feud with kamala and i know it wouldn't have been anything like the mid-south don't get me wrong guys but it would have been fun and it would have give kamala something to do and i would have loved to have seen that i think it would have enhanced hacksaw's push uh, a little more wrestling somebody the caliber of Kamala who just came off working with Hogan on the house shows. Unfortunately, we know what happens with Shiki baby and hacksaw. So, and by the time Duggan returns, Kamala's gone. So never comes to fruition in the WWF, which just unfortunate. Yeah. It would have been fun to see. Like I said, I think, I think deep down in our heart of hearts, we know we would have been a little let down because they wouldn't have booked it right, but it still would have been fun for nostalgia stakes to see Duggan versus Kamala. Yeah, it's it's just a bigger name to me than the Iron Sheik by 1987 standards. So I would have enjoyed it anyway. As up next here on the UWF programming, we ask the question, who is Dark Journey's mystery wrestler? Who is going to take on Jack Victory here today? As the next segment will answer that question, out to the ring, it is Jack Victory with the lovely Lady Maxine. And their opponent? Well, Dark Journey out here, but who does she have in mind to take on Jacko? So Victory and Max, they were out first, followed by Dark Journey, but she's all alone. It appears she has nobody by her side. As Journey grabs the microphone, she says she heard the challenge from last week, but she doesn't need a man to fight her battles. She didn't bring anyone this week. I wrote, boo, Roman. Yeah, that's not real smart, especially if, if you know Maxine's uh, in the building. You know, Maxine's obviously got a height and size advantage over Journey. You would think she would want to be a little bit better prepared. Yeah, I just, I felt like, I don't want to call it a bait and switch because we weren't really promised anything per se this week. And I know the story continues to evolve after this. It's going to progress and it's going to get better. But I was just bummed out because I thought we were going to get it here this week and we didn't get it. And I'll leave it there. I won't spoil the fun. But it was, you know, it's, I, I get, I, I admire Journey if I'm, if I'm looking at it from a kayfabe standpoint for standing her ground, no matter the size of her opponent, so to speak here. Uh, but Journey, she's going to call out Maxine and we get a brief cat fight. Cat fight, says Joey Styles before Jack Victory grabbing Journey from behind, holding her so that Maxine can unload. And then Jack tossing, flinging Dark Journey to the mat as the heels take off from ringside. So Dark Journey laid out on the mat. 
So no mystery wrestler this week, and I wrote bummer, but soon, Roman, as they build it a little more, there's something more coming here. And yeah, poor Journey looks like she may have banged her head. One, two, three, Yeah, huh, I wonder what you mean by that. But hmm. uh, yeah, to see Maxine smack Dark Journey and then uh, Victory drop Dark Journey like a load of bad asphalt, you know, when he threw her to the ground. And uh, so, you know, I got a little more heat on, on Victory and, and Maxine. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It would have been nice if Journey came out with a wrestler since we kind of been teased a little bit about something might be coming. But uh, it's definitely coming down the pike. In different times, Victory manhandling the lady, kind of honky tonk and Miss Elizabeth there throwing her down to the mat, but that was all it took. Journey down there kind of looked disheveled. You know, she was slapped around, beaten around by Maxine a little bit, and now she realizes, okay, I'm not just fighting with Maxine. I'm going to have to contend with Jack Victory, so now maybe, just maybe, I'll go and find myself that man. And uh, we'll stay tuned to that storyline, guys, but for now, it's back to the ring. For more action, Terry Taylor slated to take on Michael P.S. Hayes as we learn from Jr. that Hayes has refused to wrestle. If Ted DiBiase joins commentary, Hayes getting on the house mic reiterating that notion and orders DiBiase to leave commentary. And so, the kind man that he is, Ted DiBiase does so. DiBiase leaving commentary and headed to the ring? DiBiase, he says he wants it, Michael Hayes. And the fans want to see it. I want to see it, Roman. So Terry Taylor happily bows out of the matchup. I wrote twice on the same show, guys stepping down and being replaced. First Jim Duggan over Dave Peterson. Now it's Ted DiBiase replacing Terry Taylor. A little bit much for one episode of, of a Bill Watts book show. Yeah, kind of surprised. I thought the same thing, that they're doing this twice. You know, it doesn't take a, a bunch away from the effectiveness. But, I mean, Hayes and Taylor, that would have been fun to see in itself. But, you know, you got DiBiase and Hayes and another impromptu. And, you know, there is excitement to it. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, they did a good job of planting the seed earlier when the Ted DiBiase-Gary Young match was taking place. Hayes burying DiBiase on commentary, uh, explaining his hate for one Ted DiBiase. So even us at home, we want to see it. Right, and that was a great point of you planting the seed. I was going to mention that. You know, if you're in the crowd watching this, you might not fully understand it, but those in the TV viewing audience, like, yeah, they kind of did mention something earlier. You know, they, they planted the seed, so it's no surprise that DiBiase wanted a piece of Hayes. So originally scheduled to be Terry Taylor and Michael Hayes, now it's Ted DiBiase taking on one Michael P.S. Hayes, and nevertheless, the bell going to sound, and the fight is on. Fist fight on the mat, both men trading shots. DiBiase finally sending Hayes outside to regroup, and then once back inside the Freebird, Fares even worse as DiBiase continues on his onslaught as Hayes finally cutting Teddy off as we cut away. End show. Only one minute and 45 seconds shown of this matchup as Jim Ross sells it. It's great on television, guys, but it's better in person. They always talk about the dusty finish, you know, being done over and over. This was a typical UWF uh, show, you know, when things are exciting, let's go off the air, you know, and uh, as a fan at home, it, it pissed you off because I lived nowhere near the UWF. So I knew I couldn't go see them. So I understand the excitement and it was a great ploy to get you to try to go to the arena and buy a ticket to see that way you knew you would see the whole match. They say the 
art of a great storyteller is leave them wanting more, but I don't know that that translates well to professional wrestling television as all this ever did growing up was, was piss me off. Right. Yeah. I, I was the same way. And, uh, like I said, I live nowhere near that area. So, I mean, they did come to Vegas in 87, but you know, by then the landscape had changed to the UWF. So it was very frustrating for me as a fan, you know, like when they had that, fabulous ones rock and roll express match you know thank goodness for japan tv otherwise i would have never seen what happened you know so it was kind of annoying to be given popcorn constantly and not get not be given the butter so to speak I get that this this was a theory a logic used in the old territory days i mean old school territory days in some areas i know it was done up here quite often well, technically, you don't give them this many big matches on the show, but you give them a bunch of prelims. And then at the end, you stick two big name guys in there against each other and you go off the air to sell. Hey, come on down to the Cleveland Arena or wherever you may live. But there, there's a difference here, Roman, in that with JCP and Bill Watts doing this here, they're going national, but they're not everywhere yet. So they're selling it like, come see these guys near you, but they're not near you, as you just pointed out. So all it can do is upset you because... You can't attend the shows. You can't see who wins these matches. So, yes, maybe it would work in a small territory where all you do is go to the Mid-South Coliseum, for instance, every Monday night. You're going to see the fallout if you just tease it on the TV. I'm not saying to give, give away the farm here on television either, but in this instance, I just didn't understand the logic. When you're going national, but you're not national as far as the, the house shows go, why you do these things, because it's, it's only going to upset the people that can't attend these events. Yeah, and this was 1986, so there was no, oh, just let me go run to the computer and uh, hop on and see what happened. You know, let me go to Google. Let me go to a wrestling site and see what happened in the finish, you know, and and it, and it is a little frustrating. I mean, to this day, I cannot hear the name Craig Sager or see him on TV without getting pissed off because in Georgia <laughs> Championship Wrestling, whenever there was a hot angle, Gordon Soley would always go, let's go to Craig Sager and the college football Chrysler scoreboard. And that used to infuriate me. So oh, yeah. whenever I hear the name Craig Seager, I get mad because I think about I didn't get to see the finish of an angle in Georgia. I think it was Jamie Ward we were talking many, many episodes ago on that Georgia show about uh, wrestling fans' least favorite baseball team had to be the Atlanta Braves. Because how many times did they interrupt you know, wrestling events and <laughs> things for six, at 6.05? And uh, it's just, it's kind of funny or shorten the show from two hours to one hour for the, you know, baseball season right. or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's kind of funny that way, but um, man, I'm not trying to take away from the, from the company itself, just the booking here, the way they, they end TV, but all cylinders really clicking head to toe. We got the sheep herders and fantastics blood feud going on. Terry Taylor kind of working his way into that as well with Jack victory. We've got DiBiase and the Freebirds. Bill Watts and Eddie Gilbert with the Russians, Dr. Death tied into that as well. So we've seen Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner working against Chavo Guerrero and Coco Beware as of late. Dark Journey going to be forced to find a man to fight her battle with Jack Victory very soon. Duggan has Kamala, but he's also retiring in the North American title, the UWF title tournament. Going to get to in just a few minutes. So what a time to be a UWF fan. Yeah, and I was going to say one of the most underrated aspects of this whole project we're doing is the fans itself. They bought into it. The intensity, the how loud they were, the passion, like that's what made it exciting because if you have two great performers, if you have Flair and Steamboat or, you know, Gordy and Doc or, you know, any combination you want to think of and they're putting on a, a five-star match so to speak and the crowd sits on its hands, it's not as exciting. 
But because the crowd was into it, Ross had to talk louder. He had great enthusiasm. Like, it was just a great time because everything mattered, it seemed like. You know, people cared back then what happened. And kudos to Jim Ross because he was all up in that office at this point. He had to know a lot of the stories and everything going on. And he was still able to get caught up in the moment with every one of these stories he told on TV. Amazing work here during this era by Jim Ross. And then you figure, you know, Ross was under the wing of Bill Watts. You know, I'm sure he learned a lot from him on commentary during their Mid-South days, you know, how, how to get an angle over and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it just Ross was phenomenal in 86. All right, guys, we're going to roll on to May the 25th, the following day, Power Pro Wrestling, hosted by Jim Ross. A couple of throwback matches right out of the gate. We go back to the Sam Houston Coliseum, an old match involving Chavo Guerrero scoring a win over Hangman Bobby Jaggers. Landing a pair of drop kicks before a Rana roll-up. Going to give Chavo the win. Five and a half minutes. Of course, Chavo part of that upcoming UWF title tournament. So good to see them showcased here. Also, we get a throwback match to the Irish McNeil Boys Club back in 1982 when then North American champion Ted DiBiase scoring a win over Ed Wiskoski, a.k.a. Colonel De Beers. DiBiase going to reverse a middle rope body block rolling on top, scoring the win in about six minutes time. And uh, the commentators for that matchup I popped here, Boyd Pierce and Bob Roop. Uh, Paul Bosch on commentary for that Chavo match as well. So a mixture of commentators here as they don't mind throwing back to the old school stuff. And hey, DiBiase scoring a win, Chavo scoring a win. Both of them part of that upcoming title tournament. When you hear different commentators, it's kind of interesting to hear the different personalities and whatnot. And uh Obviously, two people are going to look at things different. So, you know, it may make you appreciate one commentator more than the other, or sometimes it's interesting just to get another viewpoint on things. No, I think my favorite color guy in the Mid-South had to be Bill Watts. That goes without saying when he was up next to Boyd Pierce. However, I didn't mind when Bob Roop was on there, and I'm not saying that because I have a podcast with him, but because very intellectual, the way he delivered everything, the way he explained everything. It was a different style. You know, Bob Roop was not there to scream. Like you said, he was very intellectual, very kind of matter of fact, and this is why this guy's doing this. And Roop had a different background, so he could talk about it from the amateur style, right. and you know, and it, he had a different way of looking at things. All right, guys. So we know that big UWF title tournament right around the corner this Friday night in Houston, Texas, but also upcoming in the month of June, June the fourteenth to be exact, the UWF returning to Nolens, Louisiana, Roman, and the Superdome is right now. One of the matches announced, it's UWF TV champion, the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, taking on challenger Terry Taylor. Right now, we're going to hear from both men. <laughs> Does this remind you of something? Real clean and real pretty, Terry Taylor, right here, just like the belt, clean and pretty. But as you move on up, and you look at the Mad Dog in his eyes, <laughs> I ain't clean, I ain't pretty. I'm nasty because that's the way that I get paid to be Terry Taylor. So bring that 225 pounds of meat, comb your hair real pretty, and get ready for the damnest fight you ever had because I am the Universal World Heavyweight TV Champion. And I will always be that. And nobody like you will take it from me. So you come on, bring everything you got, because you're going to need it, tough guy. New name change to UWF, and there's all sorts of changes going on, especially when it comes to title. Old Buzz Sawyer now is the television champion, and who did he beat for it? Not a soul. When it comes right down to it, Buzz Sawyer, we're going to have to find out. I always said that it was hard to be a champion. 
but to stay there is the hardest thing. Well, you didn't have to do anything to get the championship. Old Slater just handed it to you, didn't he? You're going to find out the road gets awful rocky from here on out because there's going to be people giving you their best shot every single night. And the person that's going to be at the front of that line and the head of that list is Terry Taylor. Because maybe Jim Duggan being the champion has set me back a little bit. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe I have to rearrange my priorities a little bit. When it comes right down to it, I told the people I was here for a reason. I'm here to be a champion. Jim Duggan is the UWF North American champion. Well, pretty soon, Terry Taylor will also be the television champion. All right, and so while it's no longer the North American title, Terry Taylor fighting for some gold. Taylor coming for the Mad Dog in the Superdome. Taylor and the Mad Dog, yeah. That would have been a fun one to be a part of. And, uh, you know, both men, respective TV champions at one point in their career. And, uh, yeah, that would, that would have been real cool to sit there and uh, see that match in person. Honestly, I don't think Terry can get the sympathy that Tommy Rich got out of that feud with Buzz Sawyer, but I could easily see Terry being lumped into a feud like that, a blood feud with Buzz being the, the pretty boy, if you will. You know, the smaller guy, the, the young, good-looking guy taking on this wild, crazy animal. Uh, feels like he's from the woods or something, you know, but Buzz Sawyer and Terry Taylor just sounds like it could have been something. Oh, definitely. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Sawyer was just... He accomplished so much in such a short period of time, you know, and it, and it sucks the the way he ended up and everything with the drugs and the way he passed away. But, uh, yeah, what a tremendous talent Buzz Sawyer was. And uh, you never knew what you were going to get with him, you know, which for the opposing wrestler probably wasn't the most fun, you know, like is this the day he drops me on my head or is this the day he breaks my nose by rubbing it into the concrete or whatever. But as a fan, he was fun to watch because – Slater may have been called Mr. Unpredictable, but Sawyer could have been as well. Yeah, you know, Bob Roop just told uh, a Buzz Sawyer story at the end of the last episode we recorded. And then a couple days later, I was listening to Ted DiBiase talk about Buzz Sawyer, and a couple more stories came out. And I just needed to take a break from Buzz Sawyer stories for a little bit, because every time I, it's, I, it's my fault. I fall down that rabbit hole and go looking. And then I get exactly what I'm expecting from every single human being out there. I, and then I listen to an Arn Anderson version of a Buzz Sawyer story. So I was like, wow, okay. Arn talks about kicking all of Buzz's teeth out, literally, in the ring. Uh, it sounded like he had it coming. But I mean, it's, it was like, okay, I'm taking a couple of weeks off. It's the holidays now. I'm going to stay away from, from Buzz Sawyer, at least the, the stories. Uh, <laughs> but just, just a crazy guy. You said you, don't know, you never knew what you were going to get, and that, that's clearly true. I couldn't even imagine what a normal day would be like for Buzz Sawyer. You know, the the average population wakes up, goes to work, comes home, has dinner, you know, whatever. But Buzz, I don't think, had too many normal days like that. Or his normal was definitely different than our normal. Let's just uh, put it that way. He only had one gear, that's, that's for sure. Right. So we go on here. We go back a week or two from television. It's Korchenko and Blade Runner Sting taking on the duo of Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Coco Beware. We see a replay here. Is Dr. Death going to aid in the interference from the heel side? Uh, Dr. Death trying to counteract for the baby face. Is Akbar going to try to fireball Dr. Death here? But it's Jim Duggan to the rescue with the steel chair. Akbar a- a- accidentally fireballing the chair instead. So Duggan using it as a shield of sorts. So a fun little segment. The fireball was always something exciting, you know. We we didn't know back then how it was done. So when somebody brought out fire, it's like, wow. And, and just the visual, too, because that's something people in the upper deck, you know, could have seen the fireball. So it was always kind of effective whenever that was done, and it was done right. Uh, we continue on here. Another throwback match and talk about a throwback. We go all the way back to 1980 in the old KTBS TV studios, Boyd Pierce on commentary. This is pre- Irish McNeil guys, as we see a younger Buddy Roberts scoring a win 
over Tommy Wright with a figure four in just three minutes time. Referee there, Jerry Usher as well. So what a throwback. I don't know that I'd ever really seen anything from that that period shown here in this time frame. So it was very cool to go back that far. I know they didn't have to dive that far back. So I enjoyed it. Buddy Roberts scoring a win in the old TV studio. Yeah, that was always a treat if you ever saw something pre-Irish McNeil's Boys Club, you know, because you knew there wasn't a lot of that available back then, you know, and that was before the tape trading days, really, and everything. So to see something before what you were familiar with, it was like, wow, this is different. You know, it's kind of cool to see the genesis or, or, you know, if you will, of something before the mainstream, so to, say, right. so to speak. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm stumbling oh, over my words, but oh, no. hopefully you know what I'm trying to say. Everybody <laughs> knows exactly what you're trying to say. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a different time period. It's like everything ended at a certain time, and we never got to go back and see a lot of that. You're right. Everything does seem to appear from Irish McNeil, and it was easier for them to do that because it was from it was when they went to videotape. So it was easier, easier to access. So now we go back to a film footage, it would, it would appear, and this Buddy Rose match. So it was very cool. To see this, I, it was a real treat for me, uh, the historian or the, the super territory fan that I am. And earlier, Roman, we talked about the Superdome coming June the 14th. It's another localized promo lined up here. We already know Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Terry Taylor. Also on the card, it's going to be Kamala seeking revenge from earlier here on the show. Going to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right now, we're going to hear from Kamala's manager, Skandor Akbar. And we're also going to hear from, well, for a few more days, the North American champion. Here's Hacksaw. Jim Duggan. Time to pay your dues, Duggan. And you know what I'm talking about, young man. You knew eventually that I'd be back, Duggan. And I'm going to take it out of your hide because I've got Kamala, the new eighth wonder of the world. And guess what, Duggan? He's going to beat you so bad, you're going to crawl to my feet. And then you're going to look up and you're going to call me Master Duggan because I don't forget Remember, Duggan, the general is back. That spells trouble for you. You know, when I come out here and I have to talk about the Uganda giant, I have to talk about Kamala. Oh, Axel, I'm a fun-loving guy. But when I have to come out here and I got to talk about that man, well, I kind of put fun in the back seat because Kamala, he's a big man, he's a rough man, he's a tough man. But he was also instrumental in hurting me, almost blinding me, him and Skandar Akbar. So, Kamala, you're back here, you're back in the UWF. Well, baby, you're going to find yourself in big trouble, tough guy. All right, so the feud continues. We're going to see more of Kamala and Duggan. They left without a, a finish here earlier on the, the regional wrestling program, but you may see a conclusive ending there at the Superdome. Yeah, you would, you would figure you'd get to see a little bit more in person at the Superdome, and they always tried to put on good cards at the Superdome. Obviously, we talked about the Crockett Cup 86 and episodes that have passed, but uh, yeah, the Superdome was not a place where they would go just to put average matches. So you expected something major to happen when you attended a Superdome card. Next on Power Pro, it's a recap as we see Bill Watts once again laying out Eddie Gilbert and company, followed by that promo we just touched on, the Kick Your Fanny promo with Bill Watts and Dr. Death from the Watts family home. And then it's back to the ring, another throwback match back in time, the one-man gang with Gary Hart teaming with Kamala with Skandor Akbar. So it's the gang and Kamala teaming up to take on the team of Kerry Von Erich and the UK's Steve Casey. And they just love beating Kerry Von Erich on their TV here, taking over Dallas. Uh, coming soon, uh, the UWF territory heading to the Dallas territory, pillaging the world-class roster to boot. 
As Kamala going to pin Casey here with a big splash, though, after a shot from Akbar's riding crop on the outside, the heels go over in about nine minutes flat. But this is not the first time that Watts has used a Houston match to show up Kerry Von Erich and company. Right. And, you know, what's funny, though, is, too, that Watts would bring Kerry in, you know, on certain shows. So, right. you know, he fought highly enough of them to bring him in, like, you know, for a TV here and there. But, yeah, on on these power pros and whatnot, a they would have him lose sometimes, and it was just kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't feel that it was anything personal against uh, the Von Erich boys. It was more business. Obviously, they're they're going into Dallas. They're trying to take over the territory, if you will, or at least you know work on their own shows in Fort Worth, which to me is really trying to take over Fritz's area. And uh, obviously, they're they're syndicated in there, the television, and they're coming there very soon. We're going to hear promos very soon of the boys heading in. We've already heard a couple. We've got more on the way. Is they, I think they are going to debut in Dallas either in June or July. And, and let's not forget the influx of Dallas talent about to be, as I said, pillaged from the world-class territory. Yeah, I was going to say that was a big feather in the cap for the UWF to acquire all that world-class talent. But it sucked as a fan because now world-class is getting weaker, you know, and I liked world-class right. as well. You know, they, they a lot of good memories of watching them. So one league got stronger and another one got weaker, you know, and me being a fan, I like to see everybody, you know, survive and thrive. Sure. You know, it's fun. It's fun when there's competition. Well, Watts trying to build himself a super promotion here, so it only makes sense. I'm not agreeing with it, but I do enjoy what's to come, so I can't really complain. However, the reason the one-man gang involved there, he's on his way back to the company as well. More on that before we end this program. Uh, But up next, a joint show of sorts. So nice, they had to do it twice. Of course, remember when Bill Watts joined forces with Jim Crockett Promotions at the Superdome? Me and you covered that. A dual show there the Jim Crockett Memorial Show here in 1986, but they do return Saturday, June 14th. It's Crockett and Watts in another business venture, Roman. And here's the entire card. Saturday night, Universal Wrestling Federation and Jim Crockett Promotions present a sizzling summer showdown in the Superdome. See the biggest names in professional wrestling get it on in 11 awesome battles. It will be lights out and no rules when Korchenko and the Koloff battle the all-American trio of Steve, Dr. Death Williams, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and the legendary cowboy Bill Watts in the Louisiana street fight. Ric Flair defends the NWA World's Heavyweight title against Ricky Morton. The Fantastics meet the Sheep Herders in a New Zealand boot camp match. Hacksaw Jim Duggan tackles 400-pound Kamala. See Ted DiBiase take on Freebird Michael Hayes. And Terry Taylor challenges Buzz Sawyer for the television title. Plus, you'll see the Freebirds take on the Blade Runners. And you'll see Robert Gibson, the one-man gang, Coco Ware, Baron Von Raschke, and many more. Tickets are priced to fit every budget and are on sale now at all Ticketmaster outlets. Get yours early. Bell time Saturday night, June 14th, and the Superdome is 7.30. Cowboy Bill Watts teaming with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes and Dr. Death Steve Williams to take on the Kolos and Korchenko in a six-man street fight. But it doesn't end there as NWA world champion Ric Flair coming to town to take on rock and roll Ricky Morton. Also, we know Hacksaw Duggan battling Kamala, but that's actually going to change with an upcoming injury to one of these men. So we'll touch on that. But also on the card, a boot camp match. More blood to be flowing there between the Fantastics and the Sheep Herders. Ted DiBiase scheduled to take on Michael Hayes one-on-one. From there, it's the Blade Runners versus the Freebirds. Wow, I wrote. I had to go look. It actually does happen. 
The Freebirds and the Blade Runners. Can't wait till we get there. Also, TV champion Buzz Sawyer and Terry Taylor. And if that wasn't all, four other matches also on the card, 11 in total. What a night at the Superdome. Yeah, that sounds like an all-star night. And just you saying it, I had the same reaction as you did. Freebirds and Blade Runners? Like, it, something just sounds weird there. You know, it would, it'd be fun all these years later if that ever made it to the surface. To see Gordy work over the Warrior, I think, would have been kind of fun to see because Warrior was not known for selling. You're going to sell, boy. You're going to sell tonight. That's... Yeah, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't mess with Gordy. You did not double-cross or mess with Gordy. He would have uh, made you remember his name, that's for sure. I think the Warrior in this, in this era, I think as long as he understood what he was supposed to do, he was pretty cooperative, it appeared. Maybe at that time, yeah, he, he would have. I, I know, obviously, years later, he became a big thorn in the side to a lot of people that try to get in the sure. ring with him. Sure. So there it is, Superdome coming. It's coming, guys, to the Superdome June the 14th. But right now, it's time to head off May the 30th, 1986, going back to Houston, Texas, and the Sam Houston Coliseum in front of 7,100 fans. That's a $70,000 gate, guys. That averages only about $9.86 a ticket, Roman. I wrote, damn. I would have paid twice to go see that. That's how much excitement I would have been. Less than $10 to see all that action. Sure, and obviously that's averaging, so there were tickets that were a little higher and tickets that were a little lower, but we're averaging out here at $10 a pop. Just amazing. And even in today's time, I'm not going to pull up the old inflation calculator, but that's probably under 30 bucks. So, yeah, sign me up. And, you know, the the good thing is, Ray, like, we didn't have inside knowledge back then. We weren't sure who was going to win or what. But there was excitement about it. And one of the few times, like, we kind of knew we were going to find out the winner relatively soon because, because it is their version of the World Heavyweight Champion. It's not like some of the other super cards that you'd have to wait four months later for the magazines to review it. So whatever happened, you kind of figured within two weeks, roughly somewhere around then you would at least have an idea what happened to that super card that you weren't able to attend where a new world champion was crowned. Oh, absolutely. Roman. And I mean, I was looking here, just looking at this gate, 7,100 fans. I go back to the last several shows who were only drawing a little over 2000. Actually it was, it's been on a downswing for a while. Remember all those really hot, early uh, 86 Houston cards with Jake and Dick Slater and all of those guys. And here lately, it's kind of felt, eh, I don't want to say ho-hum because the talent is there, but just nothing special on these shows, nothing big happening. And here all they had to do was announce something so big that it nearly triples the gate and just one shows time from to the other. So uh, very exciting to see the fans are still there. They were just clamoring for something big to go down. The idea of a new world champion, you know, and we didn't know at that time how it was going to take off. Like, were they going to defend it in Japan and, you know, make it like a legit world championship or, you know, but you got the feeling with the name change from Mid-South to Universal, they were looking at major things. So when they were crowning a new world champion, that was excitement. And of course, tonight featuring the 16-man single elimination tournament for that UWF World Heavyweight title, as well as the tag team title match inside a barbed wire cage between the tag team champion Fantastics and the Sheep Herders. But I should note a couple of changes in the tournament brackets that were announced on TV, Roman. First, Dave Peterson actually walked out on the company shortly before this event. Now, he was scheduled to meet Jack Victory in the first round of the tournament, but he skips Houston here on May the 30th, and he heads back to the central states. I wrote here in my notes, you got to think 
something happened. The Cowboys said something or did something because nobody leaving the UWF right now for the central states. You know, the central states was, I guess you could say, for those that don't know, kind of like a minor league, you know, so to, so to speak, a minor league uh, organization, like a feeding ground. You were trying to get your feet wet. You know, lots of guys came through there, the Rockers, Scott Hall, you know, where they would get a little bit established and then move on to a bigger league. So, yeah, to leave the UWF to go to central states is like leaving a major league team to go play double-A. You know, it yeah, I know, doesn't I, I know, really make sense. No, I know Ric Flair hated going there when he was world champion. He said it was his least favorite place to go, that the houses weren't there. It just wasn't a place to be. And a lot of the people who wrestled in that time period actually refer to the central states territory, Bob Geigel's territory, as the place where wrestlers got their start or went to die. So either you were just getting started or you were finishing up your career. And that kind of really wraps up central states in a nutshell to a degree. Yeah, that, that sounds right. You know, guys that at the end of their career were trying to hang on and get a couple more paychecks or just love the business that they didn't want to give it up. You know, I, it seems like uh bulldog was there for a hundred years, you know, he never left, <laughs> you know, and you think of guys like spike Huber or whatever, you know, just, Certain guys would just kind of stay there because they weren't going to move up anymore. Yeah, Rufus, you know, finished out his career. There are a lot of years there for Rufus Jones as well. So many guys uh, near the end. But again, like you said, there's starts as well. Scott Hall early on, the, the American Starship, maybe Dan Spivey, Scott Hall, the Rockers, all kinds of guys did come through there. I'm not trying to knock it. I, I respect all the territories. But again, Central States wasn't exactly a desired place to be, especially when you already have a spot here in the UWF of all places. So I'm thinking shenanigans went down there. Either Peterson, you know, got some words in his ear that he didn't care for, or maybe he was kind of scared out of the territory. I'm not really sure, but he is gone nevertheless, and he's going to be replaced here tonight. He won't be part of the card. We'll get into his replacement in just a moment. But also the big Russian Korchenko was slated to meet Dr. Death Steve Williams in the first round. And with him in the middle of a feud, that would have been a solid first-round match, at least on paper, maybe not so much in the ring. However, it was reported that Korchenko was nursing a swollen knee around this time, combined with the ongoing TV storyline they have going right now. It was decided to pull him from the matchup, replacing him tonight with Rick Steiner. And the opposite of Korchenko, while that's not really a big deal on paper, surely going to be a much better match in the ring. And, of course, Doc and Steiner would later be part of an outfit known as the Varsity Club. So, you know, that would have been cool to see then. But I don't know if you know this, Ray, but Doc hated Russians all the way back to college. All the way back in college. Even in college he hated him, Roman. Damn it. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't get his hands on Korchenko tonight, it doesn't appear. But we do get a Doc and Rick Steiner match, which I ain't complaining. But before we dive into the tournament, I believe this match actually went on last that night as they had to build the barbed wire cage. But we're going to tackle it first so that it doesn't get lost in the shuffle here, give it its due. And what I'm talking about is the barbed wire steel cage match between the Fantastics, the current UWF Tag Team Champions, and the Challengers, the former champions, Luke and Butch, the Sheepherders. But first, I have a few sound bites queued up, Roman, of the Fantastics when they requested this match on Houston TV. And then we're going to hear from both sides once the match was signed by Paul Bosch. We're going to hear from the champion Fantastics and then the Sheepherders. Let me say this. Sheepherders and Jake Victory, this is just a start right here in Houston. I want to tell you guys something right now. You've got Tommy Rogers, Bobby Fulton, Terry Tanner fired up. Mr. Bosch, it's going to be a cage, a scaffold, anything. We want the Sheepherders and Jack Victory, those slimy limeys, right here in front of all these great Houston fans. 
Because we're going to make them twice as bloody as they thought they made us. That's right, Mr. Bush. You know, the Fantastics have some tough battles. But we've never been in tougher battles than you, Sheep Hunters. You're going to get hurt. We need to cage this in. We need to get somewhere where we can get a hold of them where they can't run. So, Sheep Hunters, right here in Houston was where we wanted it all to take place. Right here. You're getting a challenge. So, either you take it or you don't. Either you're a coward and you better or you're take not. it. Well, say, you just told me before you wanted to wrestle them in barbed wire. Anything, it don't matter, Mr. Bush. We are sick of it, brother. America, love it or leave it. And if it's up to Terry Taylor and the Fantastics, you're going to leave, leave it on it, this baby. next Houston card. You, you still mean that about anything, that barbed wire? Anything, you see this blood and that blood. Let me say something right now. It's all going to come to a head, ain't that Mr. right? Mr. Bosch, whatever you can get them to sign, we don't care. Cage, barbed wire, scaffold, it does not matter because Bobby, myself, Tommy Rogers, and Terry Terry, I know we're fed up to here with them. You know, well, I want to say this right now, Mr. Bosch. A barbed wire match, if we have it, it's the most deadliest match in the world, and we don't mind taking the sheep herders on a barbed wire because we just don't care. We're going to get it done in Houston. I want, I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the people are talking to the huge tournament on the 30th of May. These fellows are talking about meeting the sheep herders and in a tag match and talking about Bob Dwyer. We'll have more to say about that, I want to tell you, because if they want it, they're going to get it. And so are you out there. You're going to get it and see it. Hola, mis amigos. Mucho gusto hasta aquí. Necesitamos por your El Campeones de la Gente. Tell you something right now, sheep herders. It's coming to a head right there in Houston. You know that people seen a lot of wild things in their life. And they said that the fantasies of Don going crazy now. Being engaged in that barbed wire around that ring with those two sheep herders. Let me tell you guys something right now. No one in, no one out. And there's going to be a lot of heads pressed against that barbed wire. A lot of legs, arms, and feet because these titles are very prestigious. The first time the Fantastics ever held them. And we're not going to hand them to you guys, brother. We didn't get them on a silver platter. You're not going to get them that way. Come prepared to fight. And if you don't like blood, fans, then you might as well not come because this is going to be a fight like you've never seen before right there in Houston. Sheep herders, be prepared. Me and Tommy, we're red-blooded Americans, brother, and we spilt that red blood right there in Houston. I've got one thing to say. With the people behind us going, USA, USA, you slimy limeys have got one place to go, and that's down. And when we see that, brother, we're going to put a smile on face, and we're going to party with all the people in Houston. Be ready, barbed wire in a cage. Come get these belts if you can. Whoa! Yeah! Maddox, Houston, here we go, baby! Houston, here we go! And the sheep are this match! Houston, here we come! In the barbed wire in the Yankee bodies of yours and tear them to shreds on the barbed wire. Shreds! Think of the universal the belt. belt you stole off us. And when we get your pretty little Yankee heads and rip them to pieces with the barbed wire, rip down your face. Think of the million dollars you cost the You stole from us. And when you got no bloody Yankee blood left, that's right. Where it's all gone. All right, we're going to pin you for the universal titles. <laughs> All right, so a trifecta of fun promos there as we get ready for, no doubt, another bloody match between these two teams. You know, if it was just the Fantastics and Sheep Herders in a barbed wire cage on the card, if that's all they had to offer, I would still pay to see it. For you 10, know, that's how for much 10 bucks, are you kidding me? Match. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even need to see an undercard with those four in the ring. 
No, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's a main event in and of itself. So you get a tournament, and then after the tournament's over, you get a whole other main event in this tag team matchup. Now, this does go on last for obvious reasons here. they got to put up the structure. Uh, however, we're going to discuss it first, and here it is. It is the UWF Tag Team Champion Fantastics retaining the titles here, only some clips shown on TV, defeating the Sheepers. And so outside of these brief clips I was talking about, I couldn't find any decent length portions of this particular match to talk about. However, by this point, they had made the rounds with this type of match on a lot of the house shows. Many times in six-man action, Taylor and Victory factored in on the opposite sides. But let's just talk about this for a minute as a feud, as a style of match. Back in this time period, these guys stepping into a, a cage made of barbed wire. It was not something, obviously, that was done a lot. You know, now fans are probably be desensitized to it. Oh, we've seen this, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, back then it was like, whoa. And then to even, you know, if you got two minutes worth of highlights on TV, you thought you were seeing something special. And the fact that the Fantastics, the pretty boys, were involved in this, to me, just made, I would think, that the male population of wrestling fans respect them even more that they would look at them like, man, they really are legit tough guys. They're getting in a barbed wire match against the bloodthirsty sheep herders who, you know, according to what record you listen to, they've been champions in 37 countries, 51 kind of whatever, you know, but like the sheep herders had a reputation a mile long and for the fantastics to get in the ring with them in a barbed wire match, that was going to make anybody respect the fantastics. Oh, right. And, and this territory is certainly a bloodthirsty territory to a degree. And we've already seen Tommy Rogers and even more so Bobby Fulton bleed nearly week in and week out at this time period. So we know they have no problem bleeding as we head into this matchup. But we also know the Sheepherders have no problem doing a little blade job here or there. So needless to say, I'm thinking when we got out of this thing, it was quite the, the bloody mess in the ring. Oh, no doubt about it. And that would be fun somehow you know if that ever made it to the surface to see the whole match and just thinking about it it shows to me and it's no secret that the fantastics were like one of the best tag teams ever i mean right. not only could they have a match with the midnight express another le- but they could have a good match with the sheep like they any could style. adapt to any style exactly right. they could adapt to any style and if they weren't together as a team you know i mentioned that i think bobby fulton could have been a good junior champion Tommy Rogers, you know, junior champion, you know, they both held junior titles for short stints in other territories, but I mean, that's how good they were. Like they were incredible individually. And then as a team, just the Fantastics really are underrated the more and more you think about it. Yeah. And so the Fantastics do retain the titles here on May the 30th over the Sheepherders, but have no fear guys. While it's not a barbed wire cage match upcoming, we do have six man barbed wire action. We're going to be talking about and looking at when Terry Taylor teams up with the Fantastics to take on the Sheepherders and Jack Victory. So while we don't get this match, we do have something similar coming. Yeah, and and those matches are longer as far as what they show on TV, and it really whets your appetite. Like, I never got to see a barbed wire cage match. You know, I saw a cage match with the Rockers and Rosen Summers, the, the bloodbath they had at the showboat. But to see a barbed wire match in person, that would have been something to see back in the day. Yeah, something very different. Now, I did see it in the 1990s on some indie shows. You know, obviously, I don't have to say much. There's a lot of that now. That was that was back in an era where that wasn't done a lot on the indies, but obviously it became a thing. 
and it, you know, you see, you can see it pretty much anywhere now as far as death matches go and things. But yeah, I, I got but, to see a few, you know, but not, not of any merit, not with any names. Like you were talking about the Rockers and things, or here with the Fantastics and Sheepherders. But you know, you know, one one of the things that I think was different, Ray, and I'm just guessing with what you would saw in the '90s was that a promoter would probably throw that as a gimmick match to, oh, let's try to get some people out. We'll just right. throw them in a barbed wire mat, like in the UWF there was already a feud. It was already heated. This was just like the cherry on the cake. You know, this was just a little something people were going to show up if they were in a regular match, but then you throw in the barbed wire. Now people really want to go, you know, whereas a lot of the indie stuff is, Oh, let's just, uh, you know, we'll throw in a barbed wire match with two guys that don't have any history and just hope people show up. Yeah. Stick it on the ad barbed wire match. That'll draw. Right. And, And it did to a degree back, you know, at least back in the 1990s when it was still fairly new to the indie circuit. But, um, here we come back here to 1986 Roman, and I'm sure it was a hell of a fun match for the fans that were still hanging on and they were, they already got their money's worth by this point. I'd have to think, but man, what a way to end the night. The she, the fantastics will retain for the time being. And, uh, again, more of this barbed wire action to come. So stay tuned guys. But right now we continue on as uh, the, the night actually starts off with Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the ring with Paul Bosch and company uh, retiring the North American title, handing it over in the ring. And right now we're going to head off to a promo with Duggan talking about that fateful night. Folks, you want to talk about history. You want to talk about tradition. You talk about this, the North American heavyweight title. There's been some great, great champions that held this title, and I'm proud to be one of them. But now they're getting ready to retire this title. And baby, I'm looking forward to being the champion when they retire because of all the people they remember, of all the champions throughout the year. The one's name that's going to be down on the walls, the one's name that's going to be in the history books is the last one to hold the title. And I'm not only going to be the last, I'm going to be undefeated as I come through with it, with the help of your support. But also, you've got the UWF, a new great title, probably the greatest title in all the world. And you've got wrestlers from one end of the country to the other flocking to Houston, Texas for the piece of this title. Well, folks, Houston, Texas, where I was voted the most popular, thanks to your support, I'm not only going to retire this belt, but I'm going to bring the UWF belt back home to Houston, where it belongs. Tough guys. So there it was, actually aired shortly before this, uh, this event took place, Duggan preparing to retire the North American title with pride. He defended it with dignity, and now tonight looking to capture the UWF championship, looking to become the first ever UWF heavyweight champion. Yeah, Duggan was definitely a fighting champion, and, uh, you know, we had talked about why did he have to be punished, you know, to give it up or whatever. I mean, it did create some excitement, but, yeah, Duggan was a fighting champion, and we'll see as things go on. Like, he was the ultimate babyface. You know, he would try to overcome every obstacle and he'd give you everything you had. And if you were a fan that paid your hard-earned money back then, you would be like, I like Duggan. You know, he's fighting for us. You know, he was just such a such a great force back in the day in 86. All right, Roman, and away we go. Before we kick off the first round, just going to run over the bracket here for all of the matches. Eight matches, 16 men in this single elimination tournament. It was supposed to be Jack Victory against Dave Peterson. Peterson out. Brett Wayne Sawyer in, and I think that's a little bit of an upgrade, name value-wise, anyway. 
Yeah, people were familiar with Brett Wayne from his days in Georgia, the national heavyweight champion. So, like you said, they knew a little bit more about Brett Wayne than they did Peter Peterson. All right, so we got victory, and Brett Wayne saw you're going to kick things off. Also, it's Kamala taking on Blade Runner's Sting. Very interesting. Chavo Guerrero going to fight his nemesis, the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Freebird Buddy Roberts. It's Rick Steiner replacing Korchenko in a matchup against Dr. Death, Steve Williams. From there, it's Michael P.S. Hayes battling Terry Taylor. Ted DiBiase going up against Blade Runner Rock. And in the final match of the first round, Terry Bam Bam Gordy against Coco Beware. And wow, all three free birds involved in this one. Yeah, that uh, definitely stacks the deck in their favor. You know, you've got so many of your team in the tournament. you got to figure one of them at least is going to go kind of far. All right, guys, we got a couple of matches to look at here, some results upcoming. But first, just a couple of promos. We're going to hear from Jack Victory. Eddie Gilbert going to talk about all of his men that he has involved in this one. And, of course, it's Skandor Akbar putting over his Kamala. What could be better than winning the North American heavyweight title? What could be better would be winning the Universal Wrestling Federation heavyweight title and being part of history right here in Houston, Texas at the Sam Houston Coliseum, which we will be part of. Now, Dr. Death, Steve Williams is going to be our first opponent in a one-night tournament to decide the champion. So we're going to love this. We're going to boot uh, Steve Williams right out of the tournament. We're going to go right on one by one. We'll get down right to the end. We're going to hold the big flag up. Korchenko will walk in the ring. He's going to put whoever it is with care. He will put them down. The one, two, three. They will give us the belt. I will take the $100,000. And then we are going out in Houston, Texas, and showing the people there the biggest party, the biggest time you've ever seen. We're going to celebrate, and, and we might even give Mr. Gorbachev a, a nice phone call and tell him you won. Houston, Texas, you don't like Jack Victory, and Jack Victory don't like you. Well, let me tell you something. After I win your tournament down there, I'm going to go out and buy a little polish, a little polish for that big old belt I'm going to be carrying around. Well, let me tell you something, Houston. You're going to see a rich dude walk out of that ring with the belt and the check. And I'm going to be so happy. And Maxine will, too. So there. All right, and away we go. First round action, Roman. It is Jack Victory scoring a win over Brett Wayne Sawyer in the opening matchup. Sawyer missing a reverse body block. And Victory going to capitalize quickly, landing his gourd buster. And he landed that nicely. I wish he'd used that longer into his career. By the way, guys, Lady Maxine, not a part of this show at all. She's not here tonight. Very odd. But uh, Jack Victory will advance over Brett Sawyer in the first round. I was just going to say, it's not a surprise that Victory advanced since he was getting a little bit of push with Maxine, you know, in his corner. She wasn't there that night, but it's not a surprise that Victory advanced. So we'll see now who Jack Victory takes on, and it looks like Battle of the Heels here, Roman, as the Ugandan giant Kamala with Skandor Akbar defeating the Blade Runner Sting. So we talked about the birds going to wrestle the Blade Runners at the Superdome, but here Stinger is in the first round stuck against the mighty Kamala. The future world heavyweight champion Sting, you know, going up against Kamala, the the veteran, the one that's been through all the wars and... uh that would have been fun to see Sting in his early years to see how much he would have sold and, you know, how the flow of that match went. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, other than a like a three-second clip of them in the ring from when they recapped this tournament, it's all that's out there right now. And we, but this, this show was recorded, and some of the matches were released back on Bruce Tharp when he released some of that Houston wrestling footage. So I'm hoping more of this 
comes out in time. But here it is, Kamala defeating Sting, and thanks to the Observer, here's the finish of that matchup. It's Stinger scooping the Ugandan up for a big body slam, but Skandor Akbar out on the floor, tripping Stinger up, Kamala falling on top to steal the win. So Sting saving a little face there, showing off his power, lifting the 350-pound Ugandan, and then Akbar cheating and aiding Kamala in stealing that first-round win. Yeah, and Kamala's not a guy that would leave his feet involuntarily. You know, like we talked earlier <laughs> how he would jump up and do a leapfrog or whatever, but normally wrestlers did not get him up off his feet. So just even the visual of Sting picking him up for a body slam would have been something you're not used to seeing. Yeah, and heel versus heel, no honor among thieves, obviously, there, as we got a few first-round matches in the books and a few more upcoming is Chavo Guerrero getting ready to take on Buzz Sawyer? We're about to hear from Chavo. We're also going to hear from Michael P.S. Hayes, who talks all about his boys, the fabulous Freebirds. In the first round, you face Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. No love lost between you two. You know how much? $100,000 is in pesos? That's a lot of money. But it's not pesos, it's dollars. And it's for the Universal Wrestling Federation Championship. And it's the tournament of Buzz Sawyer. I'm getting a little sick and tired of you and that nanny of you, Steiner. Now, Rick Steiner, I'm going to take care of you today. And next week, Buzz Sawyer, I'm going to take care of you. And then I'm going to work my way up to that title. And I'm going to say something to my people. If I'm going to say something to my people, there's a tournament for $100,000, $2 pesos, for the Federation Universal de Lucha Libre, the new champion. Esta noche tengo a Rick Steiner y la semana que viene tengo a Paz Sawyer. Y voy a hacer todo lo posible presentarlos a ustedes y por salir avante, viva México y aquí nos vemos. Chavo Guerrero, he is primed and ready for that tournament. You should be getting ready as well. Sam Houston Coliseum. You're hot right now because of the Rockets, because of the Astros. Well, the hottest thing, the sensation of the nation out here, the million dollar kids. That's right, the Fox that rocks. The boys that were born on Bad Street. And we're coming to Houston for one thing. The all-night tournament for the UWF title. And the first seedings, the first parents, I'm going to take that little sissy punk Terry Taylor and rock and roll a beat on his head. But he's going to take care of goofy-eyed Duggan. And then Bam Bam's going to take Coco Beware and kick his behind. Because you understand this, Houston. We beat up everybody we've ever faced. And they didn't pay us a million dollars to stop now. And you can tell, I ain't getting older, I'm just getting better. So put it in your bank, put it in your pipe, smoke it any way you like it. When the thing is settled, we got three-on-one chance, we'll have that belt. So Chavo Guerrero obviously coming to the battle against his nemesis Buzz Sawyer here, but Michael Hayes, he expects all of the Freebirds to advance, but eventually they're going to have to face each other, Roman, if that happens. Yeah, that would have been interesting to see. That's something, you know, they, the Freebirds have gone against each other in tag matches and other stuff in Georgia. But, like, in this tournament, that would have been interesting had it been a Hayes versus a Roberts or a Gordy versus a Hayes. But, uh, you know, it, it shows the Freebirds, you know, just thinking about how they signed that kayfabe million-dollar contract. Like, right. But they're still concerned about what's going on in the wrestling world. You know, they they wanted to – win the championship and rule the wrestling world, not just settle on their laurels of having a million dollars in the bank. Obviously, Bill Watts wanting Gordy to remain with the Freebirds, I'm, I'm assuming likely for Michael Hayes in, in the promos because Gordy wasn't a great promo. However, you know, if, this were, if there was a time to split the birds up, this could have been it. You could have had Gordy and, and Hayes out there in the quarters or semifinals and Hayes saying, all right, I'm the leader of this pack, Gordy, go on and hit the bricks. And Gord, uh, 
uh-uh, Michael. And, you know, the fight is on, so to speak, and Gordy becomes his own man. So they could have done it that way, but I get why they didn't. I get why Watts kept Michael Hayes with Gordy. He kind of needed that mouthpiece. Oh, definitely. And had they split him up, even though Gordy, like you said, was not good on the mic, with his talent and his skills and just being a badass, like, I think Gordy could have been one of the biggest fan favorites in the in the territory had they decided to go that route. But it is good they kept them together because Hayes was just such a great mouthpiece, and he knew how to get the crowd riled up, and it just made the Freebirds such more of effective force as heels because of Hayes' big mouth. All right, we're going to continue on with the first round now. Up next, Chavo Guerrero battling the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer to a double countout. Unfortunately, Chavo initially had the match won, it looked like, if not for outside distractions from one Rick Steiner. Post-match, the heel's going to attack Chavo, leaving him laying, but unfortunately, both men now eliminated from the contest. Yeah, it would have been nice to see Sawyer advance, you know? Like, how how much fun would that have been to see a Sawyer Gordy or, you know, a Sawyer Doc or something, you know? It would have been fun to see Sawyer advance, but, you know, that's that's how they booked it. Yeah, even a throwback. I think, you know, it, we might have even seen Buzz Sawyer and Hacksaw Duggan in here, and we've seen that before. That's always a good one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sawyer DiBiase, you know, or, you know, yeah, they could have went a bunch of different ways, but there's a reason they did what they did. And they're very protective of Chavo specifically here in the Houston territory. Exactly. Yeah. He, it was kind of like his second home, so to speak, you know, so they don't want to just have him lose to anybody. Although there would have been no shame for him losing to Sawyer. That's for sure. So this kind of surprised me storytelling wise in the fact that the next match I'm going to see Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeat the Freebirds, Buddy Roberts. That's not what surprised me. What surprised me was Duggan now going to get a bye through the quarterfinals into the semifinals because of that double elimination of the Mad Dog and Chavo. And it just seemed odd they did that with a baby face here. Right, but if you're going to have somebody wrestle two, three times, you know, I guess they were thinking maybe we can keep them a little bit more fresh, you know, have them have a little extra in the tank if we give them a bye and not have to wrestle as much. Well, it was probably for the best, given what's to come anyway for poor Hacksaw Jim Duggan. As we go on, we also see Steve Dr. Death Williams. He was supposed to wrestle Korchenko here in the opening round, but instead it's Dr. Death scoring a win over Rick Steiner. That had to be fun. Steiner, you could just see the potential and promise in him, you know, at this stage in his career. And you knew big things were coming for him down the road. All right, guys, got a couple more promos here for you this week. And then we're done with sound bites, Roman. But first, we're going to hear from Coco Beware. He has a match upcoming against Terry Gordy. Also, Terry Taylor talking about his match with the other Freebird, Michael Hayes. He's got the, the new world belt on the line right there in Houston in front of all of my soul sisters and brothers. And you see, everybody is trying to shoot for that world belt because, you know what, we're talking about dollars and cents wise. And you see, the Birdman ain't never had a belt in his whole career. And you see, I want to break the ice a little bit because I want to be the people's champion. And, but there's a stepping stone between me getting to the top. Big Terry going, the free bird. Well, baby, I don't care how what you call yourself free bird, but I, it'll take but one time, Terry going, for you make one mistake. And the Birdman has got you capitalized, baby, because I'm going to tell you, the people in Houston, they love me, and I love the people in Houston. Now, I know Michael Hayes and Buddy Robinson might be around somewhere, but I got friends like old Hacksaw and Dr. Steph around the corner somewhere. They're watching my back, too. So, Terry Gordy, like I said, you make a mistake, remember the bird will capitalize. What they're doing, especially in places like Houston, well, we're, they have a $100,000 tournament for the UWF Heavyweight Championship. No more North American Championship. 
And I think what they're doing is the right thing because it gives everybody the same opportunity to win that belt. The pairings have been made, and I think it's going to make for a very interesting night. But it's going to be history in the making. I think everybody in Houston would want to be there. Houston bid for it, and Houston got it. One of the greatest wrestling towns in the United States today. Because those people are behind their favorites. I tell you, they get into the wrestling matches. When it gets hot and nasty, the people are right there with us. And if, I'll tell you, I'm in there for the 100000 but I'm also in there for that title because this is going to be the first uh, Universal Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Now, the guy that was a champion, Jim Duggan, gave up that belt voluntarily because everybody else wanted the same opportunity. So when it comes down to it, there is a lot of money, there is a lot of prestige, and there's a lot, a lot of... When it comes right down to it, everybody wants to be the number one man. All right, so a couple of baby faces there getting ready for their matchups with the Freebirds to close out the tournament. Three more matches here in the first round, Roman. And first up, it's Michael Hayes in the ring battling Terry Taylor to a time limit draw. Matchup goes about 11 minutes or at least 11 minutes shown here. So I'm not sure if the time was legit or if there was a little cut for TV. But uh, 11 minutes is uh, out there. It's up on my YouTube right now. Guys, go check it out. And Michael Hayes drenched in sweat here. Though I'm not sure why, as he spent half the match in a grounded head scissors. But still, for Hayes, this wasn't bad. Right. And, you know, we were supposed to see that match on the last week of UWF TV. So finally came to surface. We get to see Hayes versus Taylor. And we didn't get a finish there, and we don't get a finish here either. (laughs) Right. Uh, Nevertheless, both men eliminated, which means not only does Duggan get a buy into the next round of the semifinals, but so does Steve Williams. So some interesting names, two baby faces getting buys right into the semifinals. So uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. Also here in the first round, Ted DiBiase scoring a win over Blade Runner Rock, maybe one of his only wins over the Warrior. Yeah, yeah. And if you listen to DiBiase's podcast, like most wrestlers, he was not very complimentary of the Warrior later on. But it's kind of interesting to see him before Warrior blew up, uh, no pun intended, and became a big star. Yeah, uh, Teddy, certainly one of the more outspoken people when it comes to his times working with the Ultimate Warrior. As we close out the first round, we're going to find out DiBiase's opponent in the quarterfinals. And it is going to be Terry Bam Bam Gordy, who picks up the win over Coco Beware to close out the first round. So... Two men will advance straight into the semis. We only have two quarterfinal matches. Kamala going up against another heel in Jack Victory, and also now Ted DiBiase against Terry Gordy. DiBiase and Gordy is one I was salivating over, you know, when it came to the matchups, the brackets and everything. Just the chance for DiBiase and Gordy was, that's a fan's dream match right there. All right, and away we go. We continue on. The quarterfinals, Duggan and Dr. Death both receiving buys. They'll take on the winners of these upcoming matchups. First in the quarterfinals, another battle of the heels, as I said, Roman. It's Kamala taking on Jack Victory, and Kamala going to score that win in just 2 minutes and 15 seconds after Dark Journey comes ringside, distracting Jack Victory long enough for Kamala to drop him to the mat and land that big splash. So Kamala going to advance to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the semifinals, and Dark Journey continues her feud with Jack Victory and Lady Maxine. Yeah, and it was good that this was a short match, you know, because since Kamala was going to wrestle in the next round and against Duggan, and, and let's face it, Kamala was not known for having stamina, so he's not somebody you wanted to see in a 30-minute match. And uh, on paper, you just figured Kamala would have to advance past Victory, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think we were going to get this outcome either way, and I figured the match was going to be short either way, but I love that they incorporated Dark Journey there just to continue a storyline on top of what they have going on here 
in the tournament as we head off to the other quarterfinal matchup now. It's Terry Gordy defeating Ted DiBiase. So with two Freebirds eliminated, Terry Gordy going to advance into the semifinals. Late in the match here, the referee going down, taking a bump as Ted lands his patented power slam. Then looking for that figure four leg lock to finish Gordy off. But it's Michael Hayes up to the top rope. But Teddy, though, going to slam Hayes off and looking to figure four Pure Sexy instead. But Michael going to hold on to DiBiase's leg, hold him in place for Gordy to deliver a nasty clothesline on DiBiase. And then a familiar pile driver. Good storytelling there. Is Gordy going to steal the win and advance into the tournament to take on Dr. Death? Two legends in America and in Japan collided in this match. And, uh, you know, I love when there's a backstory. And there was a backstory from the Georgia days. So besides this being a great match, even if it wasn't having title repercussions, just it would have been a great match in general. Then you throw in their history, the hatred, kayfabe-wise, you know, and then the fact that a title could be involved, you know, the winner advances. Like, this was just great all the way around, and uh, it was a good back-and-forth match. But when DiBiase put Hayes in the figure four, he left himself vulnerable, and Gordy took advantage of it, and he moves on to the next round. And uh, speaking of the next round, there's no time for rest here. It's out next. It's time for Hacksaw Jim Duggan to take on Kamala in the semifinals. And DiBiase doesn't even get to leave ringside, still selling his neck from that pile driver, selling that old injury from back in the Georgia days. And a fun segment begins here, pre-matchup here in Duggan and Kamala, as Skandor Akbar offers Ted DiBiase 25 grand, 25 large, to rejoin Devastation Incorporated. As DiBiase thinks about it and asks Akbar to up it to 50K. And Akbar agrees. Is DiBiase going to remain ringside next to Skandor Akbar for Kamala's match against Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Saying ain't so, Teddy. As late in the match, Akbar distracting the referee, sending DiBiase into the ring to use his loaded glove, Maggie, onto Duggan. And DiBiase, he obliges, jumping in the ring. And with the ref distracted, Teddy putting on that loaded glove. And DiBiase blasting Kamala with the glove instead. Loaded glove to the skull of Kamala, turning the tables. And see, Akbar, not everybody has a price. At least, at least not Ted DiBiase. As Duggan makes the cover on the knocked out cold Kamala and gets the win. You see, Roman, what Skandor Akbar didn't realize was that DiBiase didn't need the 50 Gs because he's already the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> I, I thought it was a cool angle, but one thing I thought they could have done different is to actually show money. You know, like if Akbar had a briefcase, you know, oh, yeah. Teddy, this is yours. Just come over to my side. And then Teddy could have used that briefcase to knock out Kamala. And then maybe hand the money to the fans or something like I thought they could have actually shown some kind of money, you know, to make it look a little bit more believable instead of just the verbal word. Yes, I'll do it. And it was done so quickly. And, I, and I'm not complaining about that because it's boom, boom, boom here tonight. There's so much to get in. But also, you don't want to linger in between all of this with big, long angles either. But it just felt so fast. Hey, I'll give you 25. How about yes. 50? Okay. All right, I'm, I'm a heel again. So it, it just seemed a little... I did like that DiBiase was selling the neck and things. It seemed like he was a little broken. And he was just kind of looking for something here. And it appeared just for a moment, I'm like, what is going on here? But obviously, it was all a ploy. Ted DiBiase knew what he was doing all along. He was never going to turn to the dark side. And DiBiase fooling Akbar, popping 
Kamala there knocking him out, helping his buddy Duggan advance to the finals of the tournament. Yeah, and I wonder how many people watching it on TV or in the arena actually thought like, damn, Teddy's turning heel. Like it's, I wonder how many people really truly believed it or how many thought uh, he's going to pull one over on Akbar. You know, it would have been interesting to see because like you said, the whole angle happened so fast, but it would have been curious to see how many people really truly believed DiBiase was going to turn heel that night. I can't speak for any of them, but I felt like the longer the match went on, the more believable it might have became because he wasn't turning, right? He had all this opportunity, all these times to turn or, 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 you know, work against Akbar, and he just kind of stood there uh, watching the match unfold. But in the end, as you said, uh, it seemed fairly obvious once Teddy got in that ring and put on Maggie that it was Kamala that was about to go down, and now Duggan going to advance to the finals. And his opponent, up next, we're going to see who that is, as Terry Gordy will indeed defeat Dr. Death Steve Williams as Michael Hayes, again running distractions here, getting the attention of the referee, Gordy nailing Dr. Death with a foreign object, scoring the win and advancing to the finals to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan here. The Freebirds once again outsmarting the baby faces. And these two, Doc and Gordy, would years later go on to form one of the most successful tag teams in the history of Japan when they were known as the Miracle Violence Connection. Loved them as a team and loved seeing them work against each other too. You know, these two legit badasses that were basically the same size, just two mountain of a men to see go at it like that was Always fun to watch them them go after it in the ring. And then Hayes at ringside. You knew, like, he's not going to be a well-behaved manager, so to speak. <laughs> you knew he was going to get involved somehow, and, and he did, and he helped Gordy emerge victorious and, and on to the championship. And Hayes, you know, it's a last-ditch effort to make sure one of the Freebirds walk out the champion because both Hayes and Roberts were eliminated in the first round. And now here, Terry Gordy, thanks to the help of Michael Hayes, has made it all the way to the finals. And we're going to talk about that next because, well, no, wait a minute. Before the finals of the tournament, who is this entering the ring? Now, we know Terry Gordy standing there with Michael Hayes on the opposite end. It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But in the middle now, it's the one-man gang making his official return to the UWF and managed now apparently by Skandor Akbar and the gang in the ring grabbing the microphone, expressing his disgust, Roman, and the clear conspiracy to keep him out of the tournament, noting that he could beat all three of the men in the ring, both Freebirds, Hayes and Gordy, but even more specifically, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, Terry Gordy, not one to back down, he begins to come at the gang, but Michael Hayes wisely holding Terry back in order to focus on the title match at hand. However, we all know Hacksaw by this point, Duggan does not stand for the words coming out of the gang's mouth, calling the gang out. And the fight is on between Jim Duggan and the one-man gang before the finals can even start. And we had talked about, you know, Duggan as the fighting champion. And kayfabe, you know, storytelling-wise, it might not have been the smartest thing in the world for him to engage in a battle with one-man gang before a championship match. But Duggan wasn't going to back down. You know, if there were five guys in the ring that wanted to wrestle Duggan, he would have taken all five on, you know, and that... That's what won him over with the fans. So Duggan and gang go at it, and uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so Duggan comes right after the gang, drives him into the corner. They spill to the outside. The brawl is on. The gang winds up driving Duggan, skull first, Roman, into the ring post. And guys, when I say that, I mean literally skull first into the ring post. It's Hacksaw's head rammed in 
to the steel bolt sticking out of the pole, a bolt that neither man reportedly saw nor Duggan or the gang. The story goes the bolt drove all the way into the cranium of Hacksaw, ripping a gash in his flesh, but even worse, cracking his skull open. Hacksaw has called it the worst injury of his career, spraying blood everywhere. By the account of the fans at ringside have talked to a few that were there, they said you could tell immediately something was amiss because he didn't even have time to blade. Before he even hit the ground, blood was spraying out of his head. So Duggan went backstage quickly to be bandaged up, but he comes back out for the finals of the tournament instead. So talk about a tough guy. And let's not forget that Duggan had bled against in his match against Kamala. So, you know, it might have opened up a gash even further. I, I wasn't 100% sure if it hit the same spot, you know, as, as where he was bleeding against Kamala. But so, yeah, this was not a good night for, for Duggan's head as he was bleeding, it seemed like, all night. Yeah, he was actually pouring blood at this point. He had to go backstage and get attended to. Once everything was actually done, when the night was over, it reportedly took something like 27 stitches to close that up. And we'll have more on that in just a minute when we get to the matchup. But uh, no wonder Duggan was fine working that WWF style from 1987 and beyond. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, we had mentioned in a previous podcast, like the, the sheep herders, you know, them going to the WWF as the bushwhackers and doing a comedy act and not having a blade every night and getting barbed wire matches, you know, I'm sure they welcomed it. You know, a lot of fans feel it tainted their legacy or whatnot, but if you're the bushwhackers and you bled for years and years and years and you get to go and have an easier style of wrestling, you can't blame them for taking that. Yeah, instead of razor blades, they were just using tongues, licking each other's heads. Yeah, exactly, and eating <laughs> sardines. There you go. Still an easier night. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> All right, so we, you might assume with, with a legitimate injury like that taking place that maybe this match won't happen. But no, according to fans in attendance, they gave Hacksaw sort of a clock countdown to return to the ring. Now, he didn't actually beat that clock, so they kind of ignored it. I guess they figured he'd be back out in time. Uh, but by the accounts I've been told, it was something like 10, 15 minutes to get bandaged up and come back out. And at this point, you got to remember the birds, they have no idea what just happened. They just assume Duggan's selling the injury. Maybe he did go get taped up, but they don't realize the totality of what has just transpired with Duggan having his skull fractured uh, during that spot with the one-man gang. And now he's squirting blood out of the side of his head. Something I thought was interesting was on commentary was when Joel Watts gets into the ring and says, hey, we're going to give him five minutes to recover. And I'm like, did Joel get a promotion? You know, did all those music videos get him promoted to matchmaker? Like all of a sudden he's calling the shots. Wow, that's an audible, man. They had to get somebody in there to do it. That's what happens when, when things happen, you know, in real life, right? Yeah, it's just kind of weird when Joel Watts, you know, I'm giving him five minutes. I'm like, right. who are you? <laughs> It's, it's what he was told to do, I'd have to imagine. But Duggan, he gets taped up, and he does return to ringside after only 10 to 15 minutes as the Freebirds waiting as a bloody and bandaged hacksaw isn't going to forfeit here the finals of the tournament. And Gordy, according to Duggan, unaware of how severe the issue actually was, there's actually a point very quickly here where Gordy reaches out to grab Duggan by his head, and according to Duggan, as he goes to pull Duggan in by his hair, Literally, Gordy felt the skin shift on the skull of Duggan and Terry lets go oh. like Terry lets go like, oh, shit. So Gordy didn't realize until that moment what was actually going on. Yeah, it, it was brutal to see to see him come out, you know, in the spirit of 76 head bandage. But 
Duggan, just the heart of a lion. He got in the ring and he went toe to toe with Gordy. And guys, I want to be clear. This is not a kayfabe story we're telling you. This is actually what went down. This is shoot. Right. Yeah. And like you said, with the bolt and the ring pose. Yeah, this, this this was bad. And they will show you later. And I'm sure Ray will talk about it. They will show you Duggan's head and you can see the nasty gas that is in his head. And I'm not sure of the actual finish uh, to this situation in regards to this injury. I've heard this led to a nasty infection, blood poison. There's a few stories out there, Roman, and none of them are, are pretty. So no matter which one it really is, just not a safe time for Hacksaw Duggan. Well, the proof is in the pudding. You know, when they actually give you the visual and show you the gash, you can see like, okay, you know, he suffered some major damage. This wasn't just an announcer trying to hype things that, you know, like you can see the gash in his head and obviously head injuries are nothing to play around with. Now his skull or it's uh, excuse me, his um, scalp is uh, busted wide open in, in the video footage you're talking about. Now we do know that Hacksaw going to miss a little time after this show as well, where even the cowboy of all people, Bill Watts himself told Duggan that he couldn't work. You need to go home and, and heal. So a very dangerous injury occurs before the final match, Duggan has to wrestle through this injury, mind you. For Watts to have any sympathy towards somebody, you know, like right. that shows you the severity of it. But, you know, Watts is also a businessman. If Duggan got in the ring and, God forbid, you know, bled again and you went into a coma or something, you know, like that's one of his meal tickets. So it made sense for him to tell him to take some time off because, you know, Duggan was a huge star. Yeah, he was, at this point, his Hulk Hogan to a degree. I mean, he does have Dr. Death, he does have TBSC, but I don't know that they're even over to the level of Hacksaw here with the Pops. They were all over, but yeah, I would have to say that Duggan at that point in time was his number one guy. Yeah, and so when Bill Watts is sending you home to recover, you should probably listen. There's probably something serious going on. Uh, as we go back to the matchup, it does take place. Hacksaw, a trooper out there wrestling Terry Gordy, and the ending sequence, going to see Gordy sidestep a spear. Oh, man, sending Duggan through the ropes and out to the floor where Michael Hayes drilling Hacksaw once again headfirst into the steel ring post. My God. Yeah, just what Duggan needs, another uh, another head blow. Uh, back inside, Gordy grabbing Hacksaw and delivering a pile driver. And that's going to end this one as we have our very first UWF champion, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And what an impressive pile driver that was. Oh, I mean, besides all the, yeah, besides all the head injury, like if Duggan wasn't bleeding and it was just the pile driver, you would have totally bought into it because the pile driver came off that good. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but wow, this was a great way to elevate Gordy, the Freebirds. Uh, I think Duggan came out looking like a champ, even though technically he's not a champion. My God, how can he not I mean, after he, what he just went through? Yeah, e even if for some reason you hated Duggan before this, you would have to like appreciate him after this. You right. know, I mean, he went through everything for the for the for the gold. Okay, so we see Hacksaw. He misses the the spear of sorts. Gordy sends him through the ropes out to the floor where he hits his head on the concrete. Michael Hayes then picking him up, ramming him headfirst into the steel post again. And if that wasn't enough, it was the pile driver that not only finished off DiBiase, we already know it's a hell of a finisher for Gordy. He does it again here against Hacksaw Duggan. And if you weren't going to buy all of that as, a, as an ending sequence, the backstory is there that was, wasn't even meant to be with, with the gang cracking his skull on top of that. So it just made the Freebirds 
look even more ruthless. And it also made Hayes, to me, look smart, too, you know, because Gordy wanted to get involved, and Hayes held him back. Like, no, 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 let, let, let those two go at it. Let right. them expend their energy, you know. So it, it made Hayes like a like an evil genius, so to speak, you know, by letting his charge, Terry Gordy, stay out of it. Duggan got got injured. He was still reeling from the Kamala match. So, you know, it was just smart and made the Freebirds look like dastardly heels because Hayes interfered all night. You know, he was causing trouble and, uh, you know, he helped Gordy win. And then, like I said, Duggan came out looking even better. You know, I was even more of a fan of Duggan after this. Yeah. And you talked about Michael Hayes being an evil genius. You know, that goes all the way back in time, back to, you know, the Memphis or Nashville territory, back to the Mid-South the first time around. Georgia, Dallas. Michael Hayes played the part excellently here, and Terry Gordy, the world beater out here, beating everybody in his path. He didn't get a bye. He took on somebody every round from Coco Beware, uh, moved on Ted DiBiase, and of course here in the finals even, we saw him put away Hacksaw Duggan of all people. Yeah, a little help from the gang, but again, that was kind of Duggan's fault. So Gordy, all he did was win the match, and he is the brand new UWF champion. And for everybody asking the question over on Facebook, why didn't they just give Duggan the UWF title instead of retiring the North American title? And I, I kept responding back to these people. Me and Roman have been asking the same question because that's what they did with the Fantastics, Roman. They just simply gave them the UWF tag titles instead of the Mid-South titles. Yeah, it's something we might not ever know the real reason behind it, but uh the first ever UWF World Heavyweight Champion was Terry Gordy, and I had no problem with it being him. You know, I was happy at the ending. You know, I'm a wrestling fan that a lot of times sided with the heels, but whether heel, babyface, whatever, Gordy was just a tremendous talent. So when they decided to go that way and push Gordy, I did not have a problem with that. You know, and Hayes was such a awesome mouthpiece to speak for Gordy. And I knew great matches were coming ahead because I thought Gordy was just an absolutely phenomenal talent. And, and and doing it this way, they didn't beat Hacksaw out outright. Like, he had several matches, right. ran into the one-man gang, he gave it his all, he, he stood up to you know everything that was up against him, and he still nearly pulled it off if it wasn't for that one-man gang and even Michael Hayes at ringside. However, at the same time, Terry Gordy, it was a great way to build him up. If that's why they created this entire tournament was to build Terry Gordy up as an unstoppable monster. Excellent job by Cowboy Bill Watts, Kin Mantell and company. Yeah, uh, you and I were not happy that Duggan had to give up, relinquish the UWF title. But the way this was booked, I think they did it the right way. You know, like we said, the Freebirds came out even more hated after this. Gordy's getting pushed into the limelight as a legit, believable world heavyweight champion. Duggan is more of a hero than he was before. This was very well done. You know, I did take one direct quote from uh, one of the Facebook listeners out there, John Robinson. He sent in this message to me. I just wanted to read it to you, Roman, real quick. He was there, front row ringside, and he wrote in and said, Yes, indeed, the gang attacked Duggan and impaled his head on a bolt on the ring post, causing a huge gash in his head requiring staples. I believe it was stitches, but I'm not nitpicking there. He says, I remember they gave Duggan an extended countdown clock. We talked about that to answer the bell. And even though he managed to get stapled up and heavily bandaged, he did make it back out to the ring. And according to him, the crowd went absolutely nuts. Oh, I, I can totally believe it. You know, there's, 
there's times where watching it on TV does not do it justice, you know, and I can totally picture the roof coming off the building because, you know, when you're thinking like, wow, it looks like Gordy's going to win it by forfeit. And then when the superhero comes out bandaged and what I liked too, was it wasn't just that Duggan came out, Duggan came out to battle. It wasn't like he came out and got his butt kicked for five minutes and then lost. Right. Duggan was still fighting to the very, very end. Yeah. And it made you believe, like, damn, he still could do I, it I love all that. these obstacles. I love the camera angle of him returning to ringside with the bandages on his head. And he's, you can't hear what he's saying, but you just feel it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Let's get this on. I, you know, I, I'm back. Let's let's get this going. And, you know, that's the way the match came off. And it was a great storytelling there. As we wrap up, well, we're just about ready to wrap up the month of May. Now, we do have to close out the month's TV on the next episode when you join us, Roman. But for all intents and purposes, we're pretty much done with the month of May here as we have lots of news coming to kick off the month of June. Lots of things changing under the national expansion of the UWF and Booker Kim Mantel's connections to many Dallas wrestling stars. Big names on their way in. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more excitement. And just if I could just say something, Ray, that just shows like with the whole Duggan thing, what you've done in the past, you can do again, you know, like. It was very similar to the DiBiase angle when Murdoch came out and then did the brain buster and DiBiase came out with his head bandaged. Like, but this UWF, you might have a whole new audience that didn't see that angle with DiBiase coming to the ring bloody. So, so to them, it's new. And, you know, even though I had seen something like that before, it didn't take away from it because it was done that good. No, and everything's open-ended now. Now that we've had this tournament, there's so many people that are in line for potential title shots. Obviously, Duggan going to want to try to retrieve that North American title, now the UWF title. He's going to come for Terry Gordy, but also Ted DiBiase has his issues with the Freebirds and has a reason to come after Terry Gordy in that championship belt. So lots of potential challengers ahead, and they're all big names here for Terry Gordy. Obviously, Dr. Death has a gripe as well to take on Terry. So there's a lot of big-name challengers main event caliber challengers for Terry Gordy in that title. And and not only that, you know, I was thinking the same thing with Doc. You know, he's got a legit, legitimate beef. But if you hated the Freebirds back then, any babyface going up against Michael Hayes, you would probably want to pay your money to see him at the arena get his butt kicked because he was almost like the MVP of this tournament, you know, so to speak. He was sure. involved in everything. And if you hated the Freebirds, you really, really hated Michael Hayes after this was done. Oh, no doubt. He was up in everything. And he assisted uh, Gordy in, in winning every single match here. I don't know about the Coco Beware match, but beyond that, uh, we, we've seen Hayes out here for every match, and he certainly played a part in some way, shape, or form, whether it was interfering directly, physically assaulting uh, Gordy's opponent, or at least distracting the referee to allow Gordy to do shenanigans behind the ref's back. So Hayes a big part. We'll have to see how he continues to do so uh, in the future weeks here on the UWF television programming. But man, Roman... What a fun time closing out the month of May. New UWF champion crowned in Terry Gordy. Can't wait to see what he does. Of course, the Fantastics going to continue on with the Sheep Herders. We'll have to see where Buzz Sawyer goes from here with that TV title. But lots of names coming in, like I said, but lots of great stars still here. It's like uh, it's almost a reset button of sorts for some people. And in other places, we're just going to continue to tell those, those stories. Oh, and it, everything about it was great at that time. You know, the talent they had and then the angles. And, you know, I, I think back how Watts could take people that 
you wouldn't necessarily think of being primetime players and still elevate them, you know, and, uh, you know, while Bill Irwin was always a good hand, but Watts made him a tag champ, you know, and just that's what was fun about it is that you never knew what was going to happen. And that's what made you tune in every week. I mean, you knew DiBiase and Gordy were going to give you great matches and all that, but a lot of the undercard stuff, you know, you, you weren't sure what was going to happen and they kept you on the edge of your seat. You would see heel versus heels. Those weren't done a lot because they figured they wouldn't make money. But Watts would put a heel versus a heel on TV. Just It was something different, and it was just so exciting back then. Yeah, and I think we see that almost every week. There's that one segment that's just very different, whether we're getting an impromptu match. Again, like you said, heel versus heel, a title match. You never knew what the Cowboy was going to offer on TV as Bill Watts presents the Universal Wrestling Federation. And we're going to wrap it up here this week, Roman, at this point. want to thank you again for taking the time out. And guys, I do apologize for my voice. Uh, the weather's been all over the place, very wonky. I mean, it's after Christmas, and it's 62 degrees here in northeastern Ohio. Just not normal. So I, I do apologize if my, my voice is a little hoarse as we close out this episode. But, man, Roman, I appreciate you taking the time out and getting this show in as we, we're here in the new year. Oh, man, it's awesome. And once again, you took the words out of my mouth. I wanted to apologize for my voice. I was trying to clear my throat during some of those sound bites. And, uh, you know, I got a little tickle in my throat. But, oh, this was a blast, Ray. I'm so glad we were able to get together. And uh, not sure the exact date when this will be released or anything. But everybody out there, I hope you have a safe and happy new year. And uh, thanks again for your support. This has been a lot of fun doing this. All right, guys, it's going to wrap things up here this week. Want to once again thank special guest Roman Gomez. And of course, we'll be back soon with more of Memphis 85, UWF 86, and Georgia 1981 with Jamie Ward. And of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-E-S-S-L-A and Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Talk the territories.